heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody. It is March the 1st, and here is episode number 68 of YWC Football Talk. Today, Big Rat 310 is back, and first-time guest Jared. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name until I get him on Skype. But once I do, I will get the proper pronunciation of his name and you'll know it. But he is a professional wrestling, he is a pro wrestling manager and a New York Giants fan. So we're going to talk a little bit of Giants. We're going to talk some free agency. Oh, and by the way, too, that's the other thing I forgot to mention. J.J. Watt is now an Arizona Cardinal. So thank you, Justin James Watt, for uh, signing that deal. So I can, uh, yeah, you know what, have something to talk about today. Thank you very much. So we're going to go into that, a little bit on impacts of that. And also, too, guys, for those of you who are wondering... I wrote my first article about who the New England Patriots could target in free agency for the wide receiver position. I will be writing more articles on WordPress at YWC Football Talk on WordPress, so check out there for more. Well, any guys, when I come back, Jarrett and Big Rat will be with me as we're talking some free agency football and Justin James Watt to the Arizona Cardinals. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode of YWC Football Talk. And we're back. I have Jared Skill... It's, oh, I gotta fucking... I gotta pronounce this right... Skilber Clyte. Hopefully I understood that right. And Big Rat. The boys are here. And we've I wanted to open up with like something about the Giants, because Jared's a Giants fan or even the Dolphins, but just JJ Watt, I don't I keep calling him by his full name. JJ Watt decided to drop a little bomb today saying sources me and him working out in an Arizona Cardinals raglan. That's because he signed a two year deal worth thirty one million, where twenty three million is guaranteed. Something about the Arizona Cardinals just taking in Houston Texans stars. Like it's a, oh, it's a, it's something. But uh, how do we feel about the signing overall, guys? Uh, I think I was a little disappointed um, because you know, I, like most of us, I think, like I do root for JJ. I want to see him do well, and you know, we root for a lot of players in the NFL to get rings, but especially like the all timers, you know. Like, someone like J.J. Watt, who's one of the best defensive players ever. I mean, the dude, the dude is like a three-time defensive player of the year, or two-time, whatever. No, I think it's three-time, whatever it is. Three-time. Like, yeah, three-time. So he's in that Aaron Donald, Darrell Revis, Lawrence Taylor, Ray Lewis. He's in that class as a defensive player uh, throughout NFL history. And uh, I really want him to, to win a championship before he retires. And I, this just seemed like a really good opportunity to go to Green Bay or even, I don't, I don't like the team all that much, but even Buffalo, you know? Or maybe he could even have gone to Tampa Bay if they don't if they don't bring back Shaq Barrett, which we'll get into it, but I don't think they will because I think they're going to franchise Tag Godwin. So uh, that, like, it just seemed like a really good opportunity for him. And, like, I get it. He wanted to go, apparently he wanted to go to a team that had a great quarterback, and Kyler Murray is certainly a great quarterback. I just, I don't trust that team to make a deep run I can have egg on my face a year from now, but I just don't have the same confidence in their defense. I don't have the same confidence in Cliff Kingsbury. And to me, it's very similar to, to like what the Cowboys were for most of the 2010s with Jason Garrett. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is an awful coach necessarily. I just think he has enough game management gaps that could cost them in big games, as we saw against your Patriots, for example, and a few other games as well. Your Dolphins. My Dolphins, a prime example where he made multiple gaps in that game. And I just, it 
it would really sadden me if the Cardinals are like like the Cowboys of the early 2010s, like a team that can win eight to nine to ten games, has a great quarterback, but it doesn't matter because the management costs them in big moments, and Watt never gets his championship. So from that perspective, I'm disappointed. But I really, hey, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they do well. I just, I want him to be happy, and I want him to win a ring at some point. I agree with you that I do not foresee the Cardinals going to the Super Bowl next year. I don't think that Watt was the missing piece to get them that far. I also think that he's being paid far too much money, essentially entirely on name value. I mean, he's at that point, like, he's still a productive player, but with his age and injury history, he's a guy who's along for the ride. Like, you know, I would compare him kind of to, like, at this point, if the Cardinals do blossom into a really good defense, which, like, they've got definitely... I think that that team had the talent to be in the playoffs this year. I think that it was just a case of the NFC West cannibalizing one another, and they had bad luck with Kyler getting hurt. And I mean, if they can, and I'll tell you this, on that defense, if they can actually find a home for Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you never thought versatility would be such a bad thing, but, you know, they... Anyway, I'm kind of rambling here, but anyway, it's a good situation for Watt. Um, I, I think that, like, it's a playoff team for sure next year. I don't I don't know if I, you know, it, it, maybe it's just wild card. It, maybe it's between them and the Rams and the Seahawks wind up sliding to third, especially if they get rid of Wilson and they just tear it all down. But what I think if he's got, you know, I mean, he's if he's got a few years left, I think that that's enough time for Murray to continue his development. This team could be, you know, one of the elite perennial contenders. And I actually don't think that going to Green Bay would have solved his missing rings problem because at this price tag, if Green Bay does that, that means they don't have the money to solve the real problem for them this year. And that's the lack of a number two option for Rodgers, especially with this receiver class. You give J.J. Watt that money, you're not going to contend for any of those other guys to really give Rodgers that extra support on the outside because we saw in the NFC Championship, they have one more reliable pass catcher and they win that game. Um, another big thing to know quickly with Green Bay is is that Devontae Adams is up next year. So that's something else to look out for, too, if you're the Green Bay Packers. Because he's going to be getting a lot of money. Probably could be one of the top highest paid tight ends in the league. Um, it was a weird signing only in the sense it was just one of those teams you didn't think of. Like I personally thought he was going to go to the Cleveland Browns because I think they had like 30 mil or something like that to spending cap. Uh, blew a bit of a sigh of relief when it wasn't the Buffalo Bills for obvious reasons. And I do agree with you, though. It didn't, Green Bay wouldn't have been the option. Like, Arizona's that weird team where I feel like Cliff... I was going to say Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Kime can do no wrong as GM. Like, he, if you do look at his first-round pick history, it is a little bleak un, until uh, Kyler Murray. But I feel like signings like this has kind of gotten his job security up with Bit, Michael Bidwell. But I honestly think this year is a now-or-never year for Cliff Kingsbury. I think if they miss the playoffs again this year... Yeah. There he is on the hot. He's in the hot seat going to this year. I think if they miss, he is out of Arizona. It's not that he's a bad coach or anything. It's just like what Big Rat said. There's just certain moments in games where, like Anthony Lynn, you make yeah. the wrong decisions and you're going to cost your team the victory. Like how New England, there was those goffs. Miami, there was those goffs. Even to uh, the fact that LA has LA has their number uh, down the stretch, they just really crumbled. Like it's kind of weird how. That Buffalo-Arizona game, that great game that happened in November with the Hale-Murray, if you will, that the Cardinals won that game, and that's when their season kind of peaked. Meanwhile, Buffalo, that was kind of like the kick in the pants. They needed to find that second gear and make that run to the AFC Championship game. So, just something to note. But, all in all, like I do agree with Jared on the Isaiah Simmons take the best, though. 
And the other thing of note with Arizona is that Patrick Peterson is on his way out, more than likely, and they ought to figure out what they're doing with Chandler Jones, and then their offensive line does need work. And uh, if, I, if I may on the Green Bay thing, I do agree with you. Um, if you give JJ that money, you know you probably can't sign Allen Robinson or anything like that. Exactly. I will also say, though, as someone who's, and I'm sure like you, Griff, I, I, I'm doing a lot of research for my dynasty leagues right now, and this receiver class is loaded. Like, yep. absolutely loaded in the draft. Like, mm. it's, so, it's so loaded that you can use a second-round pick on a receiver this year, and that guy could probably be, like, a 900-yard player. Like, it's... More, hmm. like, I saw the last year. Like, yeah, I, I think... I think... I don't know if... I can't go out and say that anyone will do better than Jefferson as a rookie because Jefferson set the fucking record. Like, predicting that would be a stretch. But I do think the depth... You're going to have more guys than, like, Jefferson and C. Like, Jefferson and CD were awesome, and there were other guys in later rounds that were awesome. But you still had... Like, Judy, I still like, and Henry Ruggs, I like, and, you know, Ayuk, I like. Ayuk was good. Like, he just missed some games. I think you'll have more, like, 1,000-yard receivers in this class, even if no one has as, as good a rookie year as Jefferson did. Like, even, so, okay. like, even too, I just wanted to say something quickly. Like, guys like, obviously, Chase Claypool, and even, too, like, after famously calling him out on this podcast, like, Michael Pittman Jr., who could probably have a more yep. prominent role this year, assuming T.Y. Hilton is out of Indianapolis with him and Pascal. Uh, even this year too, they could go out there. and The Packers could get like a Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore, Rashard Bateman with that late twenties pick. Amon Ross St. Brown, like there's just there's a lot of names. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Really deep class, and but I will I will agree. Like my last point on this issue with the whole money thing is that it it could be a balance. Like I'm sure he wanted to win. He wanted a great quarterback, but I, I think I saw Ed Warder from from ESPN say this: just because he wanted a great quarterback doesn't mean that he didn't care about money. So it could be the case where the Packers, to Jared's point, maybe they offered him, you know, significantly less money than the Cardinals did. So it's like he gets his chance to win a ring, but they're not giving him that money because Jared is right. They do have other holes they need to fill. And the Cardinals were like, okay, we may offer you a slightly less percentage chance, but we do have a great quarterback. You never know. And we're going to give you two years, like a ton of money guaranteed. So it could be like a balance of like, he did want to win, but like he, you know, this is still probably the best offer. Got so I think following Hopkins to Arizona is also you know a big factor in his decision. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. And even that, there's three of probably the best defensive edge players in the NFL in the NFC West right now. You have Aaron Donald, Nick Bosa going to be coming back healthy off that ACL tear, and now you got JJ Watt in there. Like if I'm Seattle, like you have to make moves at offensive line. Otherwise, there's, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Seattle doesn't struggle. It's just in those divisional games. You yeah. you see them really get their teeth knocked in, considering who you got to play. Because like Big Rat said this before too, where McVeigh knows how to beat Pete Carroll. San Francisco should be back and healthy. We'll see what their quarterback situation is, whether it's Jimmy or someone else. And Arizona's Arizona's the wild card in all this. I can't see them winning the West, but I think they're going to be in that eight and eight to eleven and five potentially territory. I think that's if they have a really good year. They have like a. Cleveland Browns like right, like year where they get a couple games to go their way. And, and for, for, for all my for all my skepticism on Arizona, which I feel is warranted, it should be noted Chandler Jones was hurt most of last year, and the year before Chandler Jones was, I believe, runner up in Defensive Player of the Year, um, or close to it, like right behind Gilmore and Watt uh, when he had like a 15 sack season in 2019. So that should be said that they went eight and eight despite not having arguably their best defensive player for most of the years. So. Exactly. Like everybody was saying, like, oh, why do you go to Arizona? They're eight and eight. I'm like, Arizona was five, ten, and one in 2019. Eight and eight's a step up. It's just 
they they're that team that they gotta learn how to win in December. That's what they have to do. It's because, like what I said before, that the Buffalo after Buffalo was also mixed too. Jared was right where Kyler hurt his shoulder, and then from there, I think they only won against the Giants and the Eagles. Besides that, they really fell off a cliff in that second half of the season. So if you can find that second gear and you know what, win games in November, December, that's what's going to help you make the playoffs. Because if they beat Miami or New England, they're in the playoffs. And they're also they were also two and four in their division. That's got to go. That yeah, that, that's yeah. the main thing. Is that's that like yeah? If you have point. a division that good, you know somebody's going to be the odd one out. I mean, obviously, like you could insert Arizona into the NFC East. They'd go twelve and four. They'd walk into the playoffs. And I mean, this year, you know, to to your guys' point, like th- there's so much uncertainty. In that division where, I mean, especially with the Russell Wilson drama emerging now um, and the fact that San Francisco also had a ton of injuries. I mean, you really, like, at this moment, there's no telling, you know, who's going to be the breakout one of the pack or, you know, are any of those teams going to eclipse 10 wins just because they're all good enough to beat the other on any given day? And... I don't know, it's like, you know, it's a bad narrative for Arizona if they miss the playoffs again. It's not necessarily a direct reflection of them, but, but yeah, to get over the hump, you have to beat the competition. And you, no one's saying they have to go 6-0 and in the division, but I think I do think at minimum you have to go 3-3. Three and three. At minimum, you, have, you can't get swept by any of those opponents. The sure. error is just too small. Like, at yeah. minimum, 3-3 three and three or 4-2. Exactly. And even, too, last year there was the... There was the one game against New England where they couldn't, um, not, I was going to say, they didn't punch it in right before halftime where they really could have put the game away. And then even two, New England was making that late drive late in the game and Isaiah Simmons took the unnecessary roughness penalty out of bounds. So there's just little things like that that you know what, if you can either capitalize on or prevent from doing, you're just going to help yourself winning football games. Also, too, it doesn't help that in two of those games that we're talking about, Big Rat, that Zane Gonzalez was probably the reason why they lost. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I thought the Dolphins outplayed them, but yes, I, I, I'm not going to disagree. The Dolphins did get a little lucky that he missed a kick. Yeah, but this is the best time of the year, and like as soon, I was so happy though today that this broke on my lunch break. Otherwise, I probably would be on my phone. I'm like, I was just being like, oh shit. But then I, I just see someone message me saying JJ watched the Cardinals, and I go on Twitter, and the first thing I saw was that photo of him in the uh, T-shirt. So it is interesting, but I also don't know if you guys saw this, but Michael Bidwell actually just flew JJ and his wife out to Arizona. Because uh, Bidwell's cool. a pilot. Mm. Yeah, if anyone here listening hasn't seen it yet, I, hopefully you have. The All or Nothing on Amazon Prime um, that does a year-long retrospective look at like certain teams during the season. In 2015, they did the Cardinals. And they showed Michael Michael Bidwell talked a lot about how he likes being a pilot in his spare time. Like uh, Everyone in his family knows how to fly. He also thinks it's more cost-effective. You know, It makes more sense for him to fly his own stuff rather than to fly, pay a pilot to do it for him. And <laughs> It's really, really cool, like how, how he has that habit. I'll have to go take a look at that. Um, the one thing I want to note, though, as well, is that Michael Michael's father, Bill, obviously owned the Cardinals for a very long time, and he passed, I believe, in October of 2019. The one thing you start to see a lot of in the NFL is when an owner passes away, that's what can cause dysfunction in the organization because they're trying to figure out who can run it or is the right person in charge. But with Arizona, like even though they haven't made the playoffs, Michael Bidwell's done a pretty good job taking the reins over from his father after his passing. Like... You kind of see with examples, like I like to bring it up, the Denver Broncos, Detroit. Uh, there was a period with Buffalo for a little bit, and even now with Seattle after Paul Allen passed. So it's just something key that where you have consistency with uh, ownership. But then 
The other thing, too, I didn't know until recently is that the Arizona Cardinals are actually the second oldest franchise in the history of the NFL, only behind the Bears. Interesting. I they were old. I didn't know they were the second oldest. Yeah, they, they started in Chicago, and then they went to St. Louis, and then they were the Phoenix Cardinals, and then they became Arizona. Interesting. Yeah, so just a little bit of tidbits of trivia. But um, I wanted to switch, uh, before we talk about Miami Big Rat, I want to switch focus just to Jared with uh, the New York Giants. Mm, do we have to? <laughs> we never get a... We haven't we haven't heard your take take on them yet. We we hear me on the Dolphins all the time. Sure, yeah, right? no, I know, I know, I know. Yes, yes. Maybe that's why I'm here. So, uh, oh, what? Just like a kind of a general state of the Giants address. Um, I mean, they're beginning of this season. I was for the last several years. I have been struggling to figure out like. What what they're trying to do, you know where where they you know they can find some kind of foundation on either side of the football to build off of. And through the first five games of this season, I thought, yeah, we are still we have become one of those directionless bottom of the barrel franchises that keeps trying things. They don't work. Rinse, wash, repeat. Get rid of the guys. Replace after a few years. But then something happened. Something happened midway through this season. They found a defense. Don't know how they did it, but they did. And you know what? For all, you know, for whatever it's worth, they would have had every right to go four and twelve this year when Saquon went down. With the lack of talent that this team has at receiver and how unimpressive Daniel Jones has looked, wouldn't have surprised me one bit. But what they showed throughout this year is that they finally have a coach that the players respect. They finally have a voice in the room that is being heard, that is sinking in. And that is why they came as close to the playoffs as they did. Um, that being said, I think it, you know, Daniel Jones still has not shown nearly enough, I think, um, in a league that is becoming so heavily dominated by quarterback play. He has the athleticism and the mobility um, that you know, is needed in this day and age with the current state of the league to succeed. But... I mean, I think part of it is decision-making on his part, and part of it is a lack of weapons. I mean, he's. I think you really saw that this year. Cause I think we were talking about um, you know, earlier how Evan Ingram was positioned to be their top receiver. And the reason for that is because they don't have a true number one wide receiver. You know, this is a team comprised of a bunch of slot guys, and that includes Ingram, because his blocking skills are so poor that you really have to use him in two tight end sets. And that kind of limits that, – that's why they're probably going to cut Golden Tate beyond the fact that he's too expensive is the fact that there's no room for him in their offense when you have to use Ingram in those kinds of packages. Like there's no room for another slot guy. And oh, and by the way, there's Sterling Shepard who also fills the same role. So you got a bunch of little dudes you know, with these low-risk plays with this you know, quarterback – playing behind a still developing offensive line and they're just I don't even I know Jason Garrett took a lot of flack this year but I really think that he was limited by personnel um so I think that with it being the third year with the team showing that they can they can this defense is good enough for them to compete you know they were not getting blown out in most of the games that they lost this year so I think that 
based on everything I've heard from Mara and Gettleman, I'm expecting the team to be pretty aggressive in pursuing receivers. I think they're going to cut Golden Tate. I think they're going to possibly... I know they want to restructure Nate Solder's deal. They might even go as far as cutting Kevin Zeitler because of his price tag to go after potentially... You know, Kenny Galladay is a guy that they were asking about the trade deadline which I thought they were nuts when they were like, um, they were, they had to have been like one in five at that time. And they, that could be an option. And of course they're in prime position to get one of the big three receivers in the draft, along with potentially Kyle Pitts. Um, the one I was looking at the giant score while you were going on your, uh, tangent there about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. they only lost the San Francisco game, Arizona and Cleveland by more than two scores. So it's, you're right. Like even two, there's the Chicago game where I think it came down to the last minute where Daniel Jones threw up a wing and a prayer to, uh, like there, but it was, that was a close game. Like there was a lot of games this year where it just, it was like that growing pain season where, Hey, there's potential for the future. But 2020, they had a chance to make a run, and they did. Even to like winning games like against Seattle, even like. But this year, though, I think it's those games where you're on the road that you're gonna have to win. But then also to your right, like you can't rely on your tight end being your top pass catcher. Like we saw, kind of what happened with that in the Super Bowl, almost too. Like I, not not taking anything away from the Chiefs, I'm just saying when they kind of rely to Kelsey and your receivers get shut down, that that was the problem with them. Uh, right. I I like I like the, I like you guys being aggressive, though. I will say that. Yep. I like the Giants being aggressive. I mean, I, th- I think the division's there for the taking. I really do. I, I mean, I think that the Cowboys are definitely going to be a – they're going to be a big comeback. Their defense fucking sucks. With a, healthy, with a healthy Dak Prescott, they win the division. They're, I think that's – it's pretty – it was pretty, you know, fair to say, considering that they somewhat found their footing under Dalton to hang around in the second half of the season. Um, I think the Eagles are a complete dumpster fire right now. Um, the the football team they still have an identity crisis on offense. You know, so you know one could compare them to the Giants, but but I think that they've got they've at least got um, a guy that they're trying to make work at quarterback right now. Might not be great, but they're not changing the quarterback. You know, every other week. Um, so I think that they got a leg up on them in that category. Uh, plus, they're able to beat them twice this year, uh, which I think says a lot. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to come down to, it could be, you know, uh, come down to them and the Cowboys in 21, just like uh, peak Eli part of his career. Um, But, yeah, I I definitely, just from everything I've heard from the uh, end-of-season press conferences and uh, uh, where where the team's at right now, I think that, you know, they're excited about the possibility that, and the fact that they came so close to making the playoffs, I think that, this is kind of the time to be like, okay, we're going to give Daniel Jones the best possible. You guys go on. I just step out for a second. Yeah. Well, is it fair to say Hello? on the Eli play? Is yeah. it say that part of the, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily throwing blame at him or at the organization. I understand this is kind of a hard thing to do when you have like an iconic player in franchise history and he's towards the end of his career. And it creates like this kind of uncomfortable thing where you, you need to win now for the guy, but the guy is also maybe not at the same level where you can carry a limited roster and you end up 
making a bunch of wind out moves that pile upon each other. Like I know before that 2016 season, they like went on the spending spree in free agency where you're like, you got Olivier Vernon and you got Jack Rabbit and you got like all these players. Yeah. Is it possible that like, you know, cause like I kind of saw this a little bit with the Miami heat, but to not, not to this, no offense to the giants. The heat were never like really bad for a long period of time, but the heat had this problem toward the end of Dwayne Wade's career where Wade really wanted to get paid max money. Because he was like, you guys have never given me a max contract. Give me a max contract. And the Heat were like, dude, man, you're in your mid-30s. Like, you're not the same player that you were. And it created this awkward friction and ended up in Wade walking, then coming back in a limited role. Very different from the Giants, but the theme is the same where you have Eli at the end of his career. And, like, you, you're trying to make it work with all these re- – but you can't really properly rebuild because he's still on the team. And so you're kind of stuck between trying to reset the roster and also trying to win now. And that's, in my opinion, how you're kind of stuck in this middle area where the team was kind of middling, like from 2007 through 2017 to 2018. And I don't know if you felt like that that had a uh, Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, like, I, I definitely think that it's clear that they should have attempted to... I think that they... They didn't want to start. The, they probably didn't want to start the rebuild until they had the next franchise quarterback in place. And when Gettleman took the job in seventeen, it, he and the rest of the organization was enamored with Saquon Barkley. They were not interested in any of those quarterbacks that were available to them at number two in twenty. You know the twenty eighteen draft, and also faced with the challenge of trying to win back the fan base after. Three and I mean, 2017. It might have been like the most offensive year in the history of the franchise, and you know that that was like the first. I mean, they've had bad years in the years that followed too, but that was really uncharted territory for them, where they legit became like a laughing stock of the league. So maybe that's why they were so enamored with Saquon. And, and to be fair, he is like a, he is a generational talent. I mean, the injuries that have happened the last couple of years have been unfortunate, but. I mean, I could understand him being can't miss. I mean, it's clear now if they took Sam Darnold, you know, they'd probably be in a worse position than they are now. So I, I can't entirely hit on that. I, I think really what the problems that they experienced were a result of Jerry Jerry um, Jerry Reese's poor drafting in the few in the final few years of his run with the team because a lot of people um, don't realize this, but in fifteen and sixteen, the Giants drafted. Eric Flowers and Eli Apple, and if you look back at the players that were available to them at that time, which would have made sense based on the needs of the team, you could have easily replaced those two with Todd Gurley and Laramie Tunsil. I'm back, by the way. Sorry, guys. My uh, dad called me, so I just had to uh, step out and answer that. I just want to look back at 2015 as well, just see who else was available for there. Sorry to open up a old, old wound for you, Jerry. Oh, but. it's all good, man. Eric Flowers, I, I, I love I love uh, opening that one because he, I, I don't think I'll ever hate an NFL player, and um, at least for the foreseeable future, as much as that guy. They're hey, now he's on my team in a different position. And he's like, okay. You know? He's okay. I remember. He, was, he, was offens- he was offensively bad as a giant. Like, I've never seen such an embarrassing offensive tackle play in my life. You, you could okay. say the same thing for Nate, though, when he got there. Because, like, Nate was great for the New England Patriots, and he got to the Giants, and then his game kind of changed around a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been, oh, that was that was a big misfired free agency as well, for sure. That that was another case of Gettleman being like, I gotta make this right, I gotta, I gotta do something big. And, yeah. You know, throw too much money at the guy, and I asked him to restructure. 
for, for and for listeners at home, because I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast. Like Eric Flowers, uh, went to the University of Miami. I followed his career in Miami very well. I was stunned that he went so high because the offensive lines in Miami when he was here were horrible. And he, mm. We viewed him. We viewed him as like average in college. Like we viewed him as this old line is historically terrible for the University of Miami. And you know the left tackle's like all right, but he he's ginormous. Like he measured really well. And because he's ginormous, he struggles to bend, and he struggles to move laterally, which is why he's probably better suited as a guard, where he doesn't have to, like, these guys come off, like guys like Vaughn Miller, they're coming off the edge, they're coming low. He has to bend to get to them, and he has to move to his left. Like, he's too slow for that. And yeah, he got, he was horrible in New York, he's now in Miami. He was okay as a left guard. For, for the first half of the year, he was solid. For the last, like, three games or so, he was really bad. But he was also hurt, so we're yeah. kind of... Him a, a little bit of a pass there, but he's been okay on balance, I would say, as a left guard. But to your point about the shape and build, I think that that's probably part of why the Giants didn't want to take Mackay Becton and yeah. they went with Andrew Thomas instead. I think, well, the versatility was also a factor because they knew that Solder, um, it was Solder opting out and really being a liability at the position. They liked the fact that he was the only one of uh, the top four guards that they knew could play both sides, but I think that the you know, Beckton ended up having a killer year, but they were probably hesitant to take another super big-bodied offensive tackle after the last one they took in the first round worked out so so wonderfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I definitely think that's true. There were other teams, like, I, even I as a Dolphins fan, like, and I, I mean, I liked Beckton, and obviously I knew he was, like, such a ginormous physical force, but I, I did have the same fear because my team was also in the market for a left tackle. We ended up taking Austin Jackson. We got the, the beta of all, outside of the four alphas that went in that draft. And I had the same concern. I was like, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe he's just like, you know, this like an anomalous, like freak of nature who's incredibly athletic and incredibly laterally quick. I was just, because I know Louisville, from my college football knowledge, Louisville had a very run-heavy offense. So most of his left tackle reps were like in the run game where he was just like bulldozing people, which looks mm-hmm. on tape. But like, I wasn't sure if as a pass protector against NFL edge rushers. Could he, like, bend and move side to side with how big he was? And, I mean, he proved us all wrong, but I had the same fears. They, they weren't dumb for thinking that. Um, one thing I want to say quickly about just the whole giant thing as well is that I feel I, – I don't feel this is a true fact – that James Bradbury may have been the most underrated free agency signing of 2020. Oh, my gosh, he was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was literally – like, he had that – that freaking uh, Jalen Ramsey quality to him where he was eliminating number one receivers from games. I-, I was stunned at how well he played. He's always played Mike Evans very well his whole career, even when he was in Carolina. That That's, an- that's another team I want to segue into. Like, I'm trying to figure out what the hell exactly they're trying to do right now in Carolina. Carolina? Yeah. yeah it's like I feel like David Tepper is like, aggressively trying to get a quarterback when like it's like, Oh, I, I, I love how their relationship with Bridgewater went from like, oh, yeah, cool, yeah, you're here, to, yeah, no, we want you out, like, we want nothing to do with you, like... It, it's a little too aggressive. Yeah. Like, I, think it, I think it's totally fine to want to, like, upgrade the quarterback position, or even, like, in a kind of, you know, we want to take a rookie in the first round, we want Teddy to start for 2021, we just want a rookie to prepare for the future. I think that's all fine, it's just... You can't be so open leaking all this stuff to the media, man. Like, it's just... Because Teddy reads this stuff. Teddy, like, you know, how could he not? Like, you can 
you can do all this, like kind of like the Patriots, where apparently, according to reports, you know, the Patriots are looking at a bunch of different quarterbacks, but like all you know is that they're looking. They're not like it's not as like in your face. The Panthers really badly want to get rid of you, like it is with Carolina, where they're leaking. I think they leaked to Ian Rapport or Adam Schefter that in the Stafford deal, they came close to the point that they actually were calling about Stafford's physical. That's how close they were to getting him before the Rams made a better offer. And it's like, man, why, why do you got to leak that level of detail to the point where it gets out publicly to make it like really obvious that you just like hate your quarterback? That's like, like, they're, just, they're not being subtle in the media at all. Like that's, that's the thing that I don't like. That's like you going to a car dealership and saying, oh yeah, I'm going to buy you the car. You know what? I just got to get to the bank and get my paperwork done. And that's like you go to another dealership and buy another car. But you still tell the other dealership, hey, I went to the bank, but I'm going to buy this car instead. So fuck you. Like, it's just, it's going to leave such a bad taste in Teddy's mouth. Like, and even too, like, I saw the trade they wanted to do where it's like, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Teddy Bridgewater, I think Brian Burns, who I would not get rid of, and first round picks for Deshaun Watson, where I'm like, you're relying on potentially Robbie Anderson and someone, like, and you have to go draft or sign people to come in, so. I like, the the, the Watson example is a great comparison, because Almost like almost every team in the league wants Watson. Like Peter King said this. Like it's literally like twenty teams. Yeah. Some of those teams have like really good quarterbacks, you know, but they just think Watson's an upgrade. But they're not because it's such a sensitive situation, they're not leaking what their exact trade offers would be because they don't want like their really good quarterback to be offended if they don't end up getting Watson. Like because like almost every team in the league wants Watson. But the Panthers are like you have their beat writers saying, yeah, they, they've told us they will trade McCaffrey. they told us they trade first. Like, they're just, it's really overt. It's really out in the open. Yeah, and even though I know, too, the, uh, and also, too, the one thing with Carolina as well is, like, if Watson were to go there, their offensive line is not that good. He's walking into this, like, basically a, maybe a slight upgrade over the situation he was in Houston. He's going into a really competitive division. The team has holes. I mean, the defense, they, you know, they got some promise uh, with, uh, you know, with Derek Brown and Jeremy Chin from last year, but and they're coming along. But I mean, is this is he the missing piece to suddenly elevate this team? If you compare him going there to him going to Miami, I mean, it's not even it's not even close. Well, I think I think the, one of the biggest myths that we tell ourselves in the NFL media, and I've talked about this on Chris show before, is that this notion that like we ch- there, there's this thing that's often said: the quarterback's the most important position in sports, and it's like if you just Isolate it to a position, I guess, in the sense of like a guard, a forward, or a center in basketball is not quite the same as a starting quarterback. However, these guys aren't like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, where they like instantly transform bad rosters into final contenders. That's just, that's never been fucking true with quarterback. It's a myth that we tell ourselves. Drew Brees had three straight years of going seven and nine from 2014 to 2016, and he threw for 5,000 yards all three of those years. And they went seven and nine every single year because the roster was bad. Watson himself, despite having the best year of his career, his team still went four and twelve. Obviously, quarterback matters a lot. Obviously, quarterback upgrades are important. I'm not denying any of that, but it's a myth that we tell ourselves we can put elite quarterbacks on terrible rosters and we can go in the Super Bowl because, as we just saw with Watson in Houston, an excellent quarterback on a terrible roster went four and twelve. And even two, two of those wins were. I know two of the wins. One was the Pats, and one was the Lions on Thanksgiving. But the other two was Jacksonville. Yeah. Like, Houston last year was just uh, that – what's it called? Um, yeah, Houston last year, too. Even when you had J.J. Watt saying stuff like, man, we wasted one of your years and stuff. Like, 
And all, like, remember at the beginning of the year two in Houston, everyone was just like, oh, you know what, they got this gauntlet, they're 0-3, it's okay though, it's okay, they're 0-3, but they just faced Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Like, it's, like, I feel like everyone's giving a pass, and then eventually now they're realizing how bad it truly is once Watson wanted out and everything like that. And there's just so much stuff I want to say. And even another thing I want to go into, too, is the whole people apparently... Like even to say another point, apparently there was an ESPN radio station in South Carolina that came out and said, oh, it's between the Panthers, the Jets, and the Dolphins. Which I'm like, Danny's going to fucking kill me for saying this, but like, I still don't get why the Jets. Like, I understand, yeah, it'd be great to play for Robert Sala, but... Does does going to New York really make the like a Watson led Jets team better than the Allen Bills? I would say no. Not not at the state of their yeah no no because because basically I view the Jets as being like right now they're about a step behind where Miami is at the moment where they have they have the assets right now to start this rebuild to get that bundle of players to start to rebuild. Um, you know, this roster that's, you know, been in remission. Um, but if you throw that all away to go get the quarterback of your dreams, then you're just going to be another one of those middling 8-8 eight and eight ceiling teams. And that's not a lot of pressure for a first-time head coach to live up to because now it's like super, you know, rookie head coach, superstar quarterback. Of course you got to go, you know, compete, compete. And so you're going to – it's just going to – I think that that would be another bad situation where – um, the fan base ownership would get restless, and you know, it, you know, you're giving the guy a short leash. Whereas, like, rather than giving solid time to really retool this roster and get them in a position where maybe two, three years from now they're ready. I mean, that's kind of rushing the process if you're going to give away all those assets at this point. Um, even that, I've said, I've been saying that too ever since the Watson rumors started leading. Is that I believe Joe Douglas wants to rebuild through the draft and. If you fail like that in New York, it's not like, oh, you're in some small market where you know what, you can get away with 8-8 eight and eight for a few years. You do that no. in New York, they're going to be calling for your head. Like, I've, I've been saying this too, and I also heard Mike Florio first say this. If John Gruden and the Raiders were in a bigger market right now, I know Ve- like this is their first year in Vegas, obviously, but it was a little different just with no fans in the pandemic. But if you're in a more exposed market, they're calling for your head. Or not even that, if... John Gruden was on a different team, constantly having that stage as a mediocrity with the Raiders. He'd either be fired or they'd be wanting him fired. And the, the worst part is also, I think, because I think the Bucks just winning the Super Bowl makes this worse. Yeah. Because there's this false narrative, and Jeremy and you have talked about this on Facebook a lot, where <laughs> Brady came and he turned like this bad team into a Super Bowl team. When it's really, this roster was loaded, and they, they had a quarterback who threw for 30 interceptions last year. Thirdly, a near NFL record. And if they just had average quarterback play in 2019, they would have been in the playoffs. And furthermore, they didn't just add Brady. They added other guys, too. They drafted Tristan Wirfs in the draft. They got Antoine Winfield in the second round. They got Gronk to come out of retirement. Like, Tyler Johnson they, in the fifth. They, like, they did They did all these – they had all these crazy additions that happened in conjunction with Brady to the point that the team was loaded. So, like, for a team like the Jets, there's going to be that similar narrative where, like, oh, well – Last year, the best quarterback in the free agent market changed teams, and they won the Super Bowl. It, like it's going to create that allure, despite like the roster being nowhere near equal. And unlike the Bucks, who had all their picks because they just were able to sign Brady in for agency, and they can get a Tristan Worse, they can get an Anton Winfield. The, the Jets are not going to have first or second. Yeah, yeah, they'd be throwing away all those draft picks <laughs> to, to get. 
They also have like CJ Mosley, who you haven't seen play really. Like he opted out in twenty twenty, and then he was hurt for most of twenty nineteen. Like, if I'm the Jets, take it easy. Like, tell your fans, hey, this year they may go six and ten, but I feel like Jet fans would see that as like a successful season. Meanwhile, if you get Watson, they're gonna have the same talk that the Cleveland Browns had in twenty nineteen. Remember when people were declaring? No, but big rap. Remember when people were declaring Cleveland like? Oh, they're the next big powerhouse. They're going to win the North. They're potentially going to challenge the Patriots for the Super Bowl. Right away, as soon as I saw that, I was like, no, that's not happening. Like, Cleveland's going to fail expectations. And it's going to be the same thing for New York. But it's going to be magnified because guess what? You're in New York. And that's how you get fired. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll tell you this. It's it's not just a record thing. Because the thing is that this is where it's a little unfair. Because if the Giants go 8-8 next year, given the current state of their division, you know, you can get by with that. Because you might just slide into the fourth seed at eight and eight in that mediocre NFC East. But for the Jets, now you're you're in the same division as a bona fide Super Bowl contender for the next several years. The next one of the powerhouses of the conference. Yeah, and, eight and, and eight's not, that's not going to cut it. Nine and seven's not going to cut it. You got to win at least ten or eleven games to compete yeah, with them. It's the Dolphins and the Bills and, and like, the Bills and, and the Dolphins, I should say. And for the Patriots last year, it's like Griff, like they. With all they were, they had like so much dead money last year, and their abs that was their like floor. Like they had all these opt outs, they had all this dead money. Like they had like no talent on either side of the ball, and they still won seven games. And it's like now they have so much cap space, they have their draft picks, and if they get a quarterback change, it's like if they just go from seven and nine to nine and seven, and yes, they could take steps back too. I'm just speculating. It's like that raises the bar for what the Jets have to do. Because it's not easy for the Jets to beat the Patriots. It's not going to be easy for the Jets to beat Bill Belichick. It's just not. Like, even remember this year, too, there was a bunch of games the Jets could have won where they shot themselves in the foot. Like the Denver Bronco game. Uh, the game against the Patriots on Monday Night Football. There was even Raiders, a game against Raiders, the... The Raiders game? The Raiders... Oh, <laughs> I was... I was watched... Last night, uh, a network up here called TSN, I don't know how familiar you guys are with it. They were running um, the top 10 games of the year, and that was one of them. And I'm like, that's not a top game of the year. That was just Greg Williams calling probably the dumbest defensive play in history where you run four on a blitz, where you rush four on a blitz uh, when it's a Hail Mary situation. Cover cover zero blitz on the last play of the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a big pet peeve of mine where we misconstrue, like, these, like, late fourth quarter crazy plays as being emblematic of an awesome game when... You know, that Jets Raiders, I mean, it was a standard football game that just had a, ter- a terrible, crazy final play. That's all it was. It's, it wasn't like this magical back-and-forth insane game the whole way. Meanwhile, you had a mix of that and a good game with the Raiders-Chiefs Sunday night football game that the, yeah. the Raiders the Raiders could have won that game, but then the same thing. They decided to rush four on Patrick Mahomes, and I'm like, you're asking for a bad time. Um, the other thing I wanted to say too quickly is, and I'll always say this because Big Rat will – proudly wear this hat is he was I remember Big Rat from the moment that Jets Brown schedule came on and Danny was like no 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 we're gonna beat them Big Rat always said the Jets were gonna beat the Browns yep I said it for like two months yeah um I wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions right now if if uh put I want to put you, you guys to put your teams aside like not say you're either one of your teams but if you had to pick a team from each conference who missed the playoffs last year who would you pick like so one from the AFC and one from the NFC uh, like your team to make it this year? Yeah, a team that didn't make it in 2020 that you think can in 2021. Okay, well, my, my cheap answer is to say my own team. Yeah. So I, I will like throw that out there quickly, but then move on to the next thing. 
yes, I think the Dolphins can be that. They won 10 games. They had a great point differential. You know, before before they lost to the Bills by 40 in Week 16, uh, them and the Bills had the same point differential the whole year um, until the Bills blew them out in Week 16 and then finished with 40 points higher. Uh, so my team, but that's cheap. I talk about them a lot. So I'll say, I'll say instead of my team, um, I'll go with. I'm going to go something a little, little out of left field. I'm going to say the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, from first pick <gasps> to going. Remember, hold on, hold on, before people overreact. Um, there's seven seats in the playoffs, right? So it's not about winning the division. It's just about going eight and eight or nine and seven. They have the most cap space in the league. They have the most draft picks in the league. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is going to be good from day one. I don't think this is going to be like these other quarterbacks that need time to develop. And I think the young talent on that roster, there's some really good players, especially on defense, with Miles Jack, with Caleb on chase on, with C.J. Henderson. None of those guys are rookies anymore. All those guys are going to be further along in their careers. LaVisca Chanel and James Robinson on offense, I think they can surprise some people. So I'm going to say that as a shocker in the AFC. And the, okay. and the, and, um, and the uh, NFC Big Rat? Uh, the NFC, uh, it's also kind of cheap. But I do think it's just true, so I'll just say the, the safe, easy answer. I'll say the Cowboys. Um, I do think with Dak, the division being so bad, that's the easy answer. If I wanted to throw a second one out there, I would also throw out a team I think people are kind of forgetting about, which is the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm not a particularly big Kirk Cousins fan myself, but we have to realize Mike Zimmer, it's pretty systematic at this point. In 2014, they won 7-9 and missed the playoffs. 2015, they won the division. 2016, they won 8-8 eight and eight and missed the playoffs. 2017, they were the two-seed and made the NFC title game. 2018, they went 8-7-1 and one and missed the playoffs. 2019, they made the playoffs and made it to the divisional game. Last year, they went 6-10, and 10, no, 7-9 and nine and missed the division. Every other year, he has a playoff team. And we kind of forget about them because like, they're not particularly that interesting to talk about. But their defense is not going to be nearly as bad as it was last year. They were starting a bunch of rookies. He's a defensive coach. The defense will get better. And the offense has a lot of foundational players, the receivers and the running back. Their wide receiver one, wide receiver two, running back combination is among the best in the league with Cook, Thielen, and Jefferson. So. They, they just need to uh, – before I go to Jared, I just want to say something about the Vikings. They need to upgrade their offensive line. Like, their offensive line last year was really bad. Yes. Um, yes. But the other thing, too, is, is that they're – the new, they have a new offensive coordinator, actually, in the son of Gary Kubiak, because Kubiak is a fit of retiring again from the NFL. Uh, so that's just the thing, though, is that Minnesota's been a revolving door for offensive it's coordinators. His, it is his son. That could be a bad thing, obviously, for very obvious reasons, but maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's like Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan. Maybe, maybe Clint Kubiak thinks similarly to Gary. Who knows? You never know. And, uh, Jared, I want to go to you for AFC and NFC, who you think will make the playoffs in 21 that did it in 2020. Okay. You know, for AFC, I had a team in mind. I thought it was going to be easy to just go with one of those fringe playoff contenders like uh, the Raiders. I mean, after all, they can score. We know they can score. They got the shiny new Death Star Stadium. John Gruden, he's got to put up or shut up. So naturally, they should rebound, right? Nope. There's another team in that division that I think will surprise people this year. It's the Broncos. The Broncos that were pretty much dead to rights at the start of the season because of the injuries to Chubb and Miller. I mean, you know, obviously they were going to be put in a tough spot after that. And, you know, I think that they've got Drew Locke. I'm not ready to write him off yet. I know that with quarterbacks becoming available and, you know, the draft being kind of quarterback heavy. There's been talk about them moving on because he hasn't, 
you, you know, uh, shown the eliteness, especially playing in the same division as a guy like, you know, Justin Herbert, uh, the way he burst on the scene. But I think that, I think Locke has room to grow. And I think that Jerry Judy also, yep. you know, he had, he had a dropping problem. But I, I'm still seeing talent there to be a force, you know, potentially a top 20 receiver in the league. And, yeah, I mean, they've always been – it's a it's a well-coached team. You know, they played Kansas City really tough in prime time this year for a reason, not just because it's a divisional game. I mean, they the way they held that team out of the end zone and played them tight at a time where they really were, you know, right in the middle of their midseason stride with other momentum – I think it says a lot about this team's character. I, I, I think that they're they're too well-schooled. I think that there's too much talent there for them not to rebound. Um, and, I mean, they could they could just be a couple moves away. I think that, you know, it's kind of a you know an out-there pick. It's a, it's a competitive conference, and definitely the better conference. But I think that they're going to leapfrog the Raiders next year. How about that? And how about the NFC? But no, I don't want – I want you to say someone that's not the Giants. Yeah, of, of course, of course. Now, um, we talked about it earlier. I am going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with the Arizona Cardinals. I think that the Cardinals are going to win at least at least 10 games in 21. I just think there's too much, again, too much talent here. Like we talked about earlier in the show, I really think that um, it was between injuries and, you know, a couple questionable coaching decisions. They were, they were well heading into December this year. People kind of took them for granted as being either the uh, one of the wild cards in the NFC. I think that you know people the, the Bears basically backdoored into that spot. They were tied with them and just due to again that NFC West division cannibalizing one another. I think the Cardinals are, are right there, and especially if they find a real home for Isaiah Simmons, that combined with the addition of JJ Watt. Though I don't, I we agreed he's overvalued. Those are two potentially new contributors to that unit. I think that they're going to trade Patrick Peterson and get an extra draft pick out of that. And offensively, I mean, Kyler Murray, I thought he showed he showed so much this year, so much growth. Um, and having Hopkins there, you got him, Kirk, Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds. I, I mean, there's a lot of weapons there, and I think that – if this, especially if this Seattle Russell Wilson relationship really goes sour, the door is going to be wide open for Arizona. I think that it's time, you know, to switch up the standings a little bit over there. I, th- I just think there's too much talent there for this team to go seven and nine or eight and eight and be another mediocre team that narrowly missed out. I think I think that they're good enough to get to at least the divisional round. And, and if they don't, time to time to yank the coach. Um, I think both your NFC teams, though, if their teams either don't uh, perform to expectations or miss the playoffs, I think both Zimmer and Kingsbury could get fired at the end of this year. I agree with you. Because, like, I even said this this year, too, where I feel like the Vikings, like, because this offseason they locked, gave Kirk Cousins that extension, uh, Rick Spielman got extended, Mike Zimmer got extended, so I feel like everyone was kind of like, you know when, like, you're not really, like, you're not worried about job security at a job, but then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, you're on your toes. Like, say new management comes in, like, I also feel like, too, the Wolves were kind of, like, a little lenient with them. They're like, hey, you know what, it's just one year, it's no big deal. But I feel like this year, especially for Minnesota, is, uh, you got to perform more, it's a get-out time. Because I've heard Bengal fans say before, their their dream scenario is that Mike Zimmer gets fired from Minnesota and comes back and coaches the uh, Bengals. Ooh, oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. Never? 
that very well could happen too if Cincinnati. You, you, you know, you know the interesting thing about the Vikings is that it was really like the move they made that, well, not the reason that they missed the playoffs, but probably they thought could have been you know the reason for them getting over the hump this year. Bringing in Yannick uh, Ngakwe, I mean, if he actually performed up to potential, you know, that could have been the missing link on that defense. To, I mean, at least get them that extra win or two over the Bears. Instead, you, what, you, you trade for the guy just to flip him to Baltimore and after, what, five or six games? Yeah, the whole Yannick and Gokwe situation was um, was a little iffy. Um, I'm going to counteract one of your points for one of your guys' teams. I, I like the Denver Broncos. I just don't like Fangio as their head coach. I feel like they need to go out and get like a new school offensive mind, like a Joe Brady, for example, to go lead that offense. Because their offense has potential. It's just Fangio's a first-time head coach. He's in his 60s. I think, you know what, he's a great defensive mind. I think it just when it comes to the head coaching spot, they need someone who's younger and who's going to help that offense succeed. Because like Daniel Jones, I think this year is a shit or get off the pot kind of year for Drew Locke as well. Because Locke is a quarterback who people are already looking at. It's like, and I've also said this before on the podcast too, you want to see Denver go out and make a splash, but I purposely think John Elway is holding that franchise hostage. So he is known as the best quarterback in Denver Bronco history. year what gives the Broncos some hope because my argument for years was that Elway was never really that good of a team builder he did attract Peyton Manning and that should not be underplayed no because besides Peyton Manning I should say excuse me he's wants to be the best quarterback in franchise history and and like yeah like he his ability to get Peyton Manning in the building it like even though Peyton Manning wasn't like was was near retirement by the time they did win the Super Bowl they they get they get that elite defense because a lot of those defensive players wanted to play with Peyton Manning because of the success they had the first three years with Peyton Manning where they made a Super Bowl and were winning twelve games every year and Peyton won the MVP and then they got like T J Ward from the Browns they got uh, Demarcus Ware from the Cowboys all these free agents wanted to go play in Denver because Peyton made them a Super Bowl contender and then they ended up winning the Super Bowl since then Elway has been a bad GM he's had a lot of really bad draft picks this year he actually stepped down. And is giving himself like a president of football operations role, and someone else is now the new GM. So like that could help Denver improve their roster, getting someone who actually knows what they're doing. I will say though, Griff, I do agree with Fangio's game management. I do agree with Fangio's like he has like pretty much no impact on the offensive side of the ball in a pass heavy league. It should be noted that he is one of the few defensive minds that I think actually matters because in today's NFL, it just seems like every defense gets torched. Like, at, at all times, you know, like, even when defenses have a good week, the next week, you know, they can give a 30 to any team in the league. Fangio's defense is one of the few, and that's with the injuries that Jared talked about with no Chubb and no Miller. Like, his defense, I feel like his defensive personnel actually, his scheme actually matters. It worked in Chicago, obviously. It worked in San Francisco. And obviously it's working now in Denver, too. They, they still had a top 10 defense by most metrics. Like, he, he is, but to your point, he could be a Todd Bowles type where he's a great defensive mind, a great defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, maybe they don't they don't win enough games because of his ability to lead and his ability to impact the offense. So we'll see where his fate ends up after this year. It could be Todd Bowles, but maybe he's good enough as a defensive mind that they can get by. We'll see. I will say. I tell you, don't, don't be surprised if they upset the Chiefs this year. I mean, they might, even if they wind up splitting – 
the two games. I mean, that might be one more win than people would give Denver on paper, but I we saw in the Super Bowl, granted it was due to an injury, but if you can if you dominate the off the line of scrimmage against Kansas City, you know, you can wreck the game for even the best quarterback, the best offense in the league. Um, I actually want to say a quick hot take about the um, AFC and NFC. With the two Super Bowl winners this year, I think it'll be easier for Tampa Bay to get back to the Super Bowl than it will Kansas City. Not now saying that Kansas City could go out there and fuck around and go fourteen and two again, but the fun fact about the Chiefs about this last season, they were seven and nine against the spread. Jacksonville had the same spread record, believe it or not. Yep. The ja- the Jaguars. Uh, as someone who was betting the second half of the season, the Jaguars were easy money because everyone thinks they're so terrible. And every week they would be like 10-point underdogs. And every week they would cover and lose by a touchdown. That's one of the reasons also kind of priced into my earlier argument about the Jaguars being better than expected. Um, they they were also a team that lost a lot of close games last year. Uh, so like they, they were the classic team. Every week they were 12 to 14-point dogs, and they didn't deserve to be. And the Chiefs were the opposite. Every week, they were 12 to 14 point favorites, and they would win by a touchdown or less. They won by six points or less, like nine straight weeks or something like that. The, they, like beat, it, they beat the Panthers by they, they beat the Panthers by one point. They beat the Falcons by three points. Like there were so many games that they that they could have easily get away from them. I feel like, and I've said this before too. I feel like every team needs to have that you know punch in the mouth loss, like Tampa Bay had to Kansas City when they first faced off, to, like, kind of, you know what, find that second gear and make a run, kind of like what I said about the Bills earlier. Meanwhile, Kansas City kind of coasted and, you know what, got away with a lot of wins, and even, too, I know they lost Week 17, but do we really count that as, like, a legitimate loss? Because I don't know. No, yeah, that doesn't count. They were tr- a game they were trying to win, they only lost once in the regular season. Exactly. I feel like yeah. you need to lose one of those games. Like, say if they had lost to the Raiders or the Broncos in Sunday Night Football. Like, if you lose one of those games, I think it only helps – Fuel the fire where... And also, too, uh, Phil, Nightmare 10 was famous for saying this on here. Because I remember one of the very first predictions was that the Ravens were going to get upset in the divisional playoffs two years ago because they didn't play any of their starters Week 17 and that they just coasted throughout the regular season. And look what happened there. So it just goes to show, like, look... you And also, Kansas City, too, in 2019. Mahomes was injured. They had to come back in all their playoff games. Uh, We weren't sure if we were going to get the same Mahomes, and they just came out and kind of, you know what... They had their rough patch in October, November. So that's what I'm saying. Look, it's good to face adversity. It's good to be challenged. You know. It's, oh yeah. I mean, look at the box. The Ravens last year were a great example of that because not not it's more than just winning. Because the the reason that I was actually more confident in Kansas City repeating this year was because they didn't necessarily blow everybody out. Whereas the year like the year prior, the Ravens dominated in such overwhelming fashion that Lamar was basically being rested in the fourth quarter of most of these games. So it's like the games almost started to feel like exhibitions. Like they're, they're losing a competitive edge, and eventually you're going to run into a team that's going to keep it close where you actually have to play 60 minutes. You can't just score a few touchdowns and then sit on the ball. And, and, and I'll go to Griff now, but very quick interlude because I was literally listening to a podcast about this today. I was listening to The Low Post, an NBA podcast. Zach Lowe had Brian Scalabrini on, and they were talking about the 2008 Celtics. You know, they won 67 games. They won the championship. And in the first round that year, they played the Hawks, a mediocre Hawks team who was the eighth seed. And they were pushed to seven games, a seven-game series against a mediocre team. And everyone was like, whoa, how did that happen? 
And Scalabrini said, yeah, they were a little overconfident. They got pushed around a lot. It could have cost them if the Hawks were a better team, but the Hawks were like just mediocre enough that they could skate by. And Scalabrini credits that challenge by Atlanta as kind of like giving them examples of getting punched in the mouth and overcoming it so that they could go on the run that they did, which ended up resulting in winning the championship. Exactly. Like, even, um, what was I going to say here? Like, you could look at other teams, too. Like, even the 2016 Warriors, like, they were down 3-1 to one to OKC. Like, everyone thought it was over, and then they had to rally back to win that series. Like, it's so I'm just saying, in the regular season, it's always good to face adversity, no matter the sport. Like, if there's all those talks of, like, it, it happens, it's happened in hockey in recent years, too, where you, it's the team most people don't think that's going to win, ends up winning. It's only, it, like, it does happen in cases, but the best team never wins, I think, is the point. Of all this, um, I want to quickly ask Jared another Giants question. Sure. Uh, if you're Dave Gettleman, do you lock up Barkley long term this off season, or do you just exercise his option just because of the injury? I mean, yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, it's I'd negotiate because I almost wonder if how does. You know, how does the injury play? How do the injuries play into the negotiations? Does he get a, him at a discount as a result? Or does Saquon want, you know, his own insurance policy for that reason? So if it seem, if it's a more affordable situation to do so now, oh, it's, it's just tough to say because they're probably looking to spend money and um, additional money in free agency. Like, like, I think that they're looking to cut players to create extra room so to make that kind of commitment now, I mean, you could almost find yourself in the situation that the Cowboys are finding themselves in, where you paid Amari and then paid Zeke, now you got to pay Dak with this huge contract. But I don't know. I'd have the, I'd at least start to have the conversation because if there is an opportunity to potentially save money due to the fact that he's been hurt the last couple of years, and given his age and bounce back candidacy. I'd certainly explore it. I, you know what? I honestly would too, because like if, or even to if Saquon can say no, I'll take my option, and I want to bet on myself to get more money. But at the same time, too, if he's committed to the Giants long term, I agree with what you said, where he can kind of go, "Hey, I want to be a Giant, but I want to make sure the team's good around us." Because like I remember last sure. year, that that Amari Cooper deal is a very big head scratcher because a lot of like Raider fans know this that. Amari in big moment situation kind of disappears. Um, Zeke obviously ha- had his problems this past year, but I agree with that. I only want to ask that too because I was hearing reports out of Baltimore, or not even out of Baltimore, but with Baltimore, that apparently they're having a tough time getting Lamar extended, which I'm just trying to figure out exactly if it's a money issue or a term issue, but I feel like the same thing. Like I said this on record before that I feel like out of that 2018 draft, the quarter, the player that deserves the most money is Josh Allen at the moment. Yeah, that's fair to say. And I just I want to uh, I just want to um, uh, as a warning sign because uh, Danny, you know, being the jackass that he is, and a bunch of other people are dunking <laughs> on my quarterback. Just remember, after 2018, everyone thought Baker Mayfield was the second coming. He had just set the rookie record for touchdown passes. Yeah. Yep. They had their first, like, they had their best record in years. Like, everyone said that. You would have been called an idiot if you thought Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson were better than Baker Mayfield after their rookie years. So, let's be a reminder to you, Danny, having your fun thinking we know with perfect accuracy what this quarterback rookie class is going to look like. The, the careers are very long. 
you never know how quickly things change from year to year. Let's slow down a little bit. That's it. Also, one thing I'll say too is, and this will make you happy, Big Rap, but if there is a quarterback to have that second-year leap where they break out, I honestly think it's Tua. I think Chris Greer would be stupid to get rid of him. I think, you know what, you keep him, you develop him, because he was still coming off that hip surgery. Everyone's just making it seem like, oh, he's a bust. Like, Miami should just go get the best quarterback available or trade the pick away and get Watson. But, like, look, you've got what you got in-house, and you guys also hired an internal offensive coordinator for a reason. I don't think you do that if they don't plan on... I think you go out and get someone if you plan on getting rid of Tua, but the fact that you are promoting someone who already kind of knows how Tua works is only going to benefit him further. Now, the only question is with you guys is, can you get a receiver to help him out? Like, Parker's good, Graham's good. Uh, We'll see if you guys bring back Albert Wilson or not. I'm not sure his contract situation. Yeah, he's... He could go either way. I think that will depend on if there's a free agent they like, if they're going to use number three on a receiver. Um, once they make that decision, that will determine what they do with Wilson because he he doesn't make that much money, but they can get rid of him like with minimal guarantees. He only makes like like eight million, I think. Um, but so like it's as simple as if you're going to bring in another receiver, then there's no point in paying Albert Wilson eight million. If you're not, then you can stomach it. Albert Wilson also theoretically fits well with Tua. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to go on a huge rant. I've talked about it enough on the podcast, but, like, I just find it to be really unfair. Like, I don't I don't know why Tua is such a target for people. Like, I guess it's because he got benched twice, and I guess people attract to that, but, like, if Well, you, I mean, he, he's... I think that... If you look at... You know, not, work in progress, but the thing is, if the team wasn't as good as they were this year, he wouldn't be such a target. If the team goes 6-10, and 7-9, and nine, and also if, if Fitzpatrick didn't get the wins that he got out of them, you know, you, it's easier for people to say, Hey, like, you know, rookie year, growing pains, give him a break. But when you saw toward the end of the season, I think that the biggest telltale sign was that freaking Raiders game. That was like the, that was gasoline on the fire for the two haters, because you gotta be honest in that particular game, you got, you got an offense that is struggling that is struggling so hard to move the ball downfield against one of the NFL's most disgraceful defenses for over three quarters. And then all of a sudden, Fitzpatrick, like the second he comes into the game, all of a sudden they just sprung to life. Yes, but here's here's the problem. No doubt that happened, obviously. Everyone with eyes can see that. Yeah. Here's my frustration. Yes, that was a Saturday that was a Saturday night game. It was on national TV. It was on it was the day after Christmas. Playoff yeah. implications. And everybody was watching it. I get it. Yeah. You but you people who are not Dolphins fans didn't see the Fitz offenses that I saw early in the year that struggled to move the ball, that threw interceptions all the time. Against against Griff's Patriots. Yeah. At the time, no one put too much stock into it at the time. Because we didn't we weren't sure yet that the Patriots were gonna take a step back. There were still people that thought they were the Patriots that at least could make the playoffs, right? In week one, Fitz was horrible. They scored 11 points. Fitz threw three picks. He was a disaster. And, no, and like, yeah, time, yes, that, that game was the shits. Yes. Like, well, like, that's the thing. It's like, there's no doubt Fitz in that game, he figured out the Raiders' defense. He knew what was going on. He created magic. Because of that, there is this notion that if Fitz was starting all year, the offense would have been what it was in that fourth quarter of that Raiders game, which is bullshit. Also, that Raiders defense was horrible. Yes, Tua had a bad day as a rookie. I get it. But I saw Fitz 
be the starter for seven games, including a game against the Seahawks. Remember in September when the Seahawks had like the worst defense in NFL history at the time? They were like breaking all these records. Cam Newton lit up the Seahawks defense at the time too. Fitz was terrible in that game. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and they had to settle for five field goals because he was such a disaster in the red zone. Brian Flores, after that game, said he would not commit to Fitz as the starter the next week. He was he already wanted to bench Fitz then because the Patriots game and the Seahawks game was just too much for him to stomach. And like Dolphin, other these other NFL fans who did not see those games are now constructing a false narrative of the season and this false understanding that because Fitz lit up the Raiders, if Fitz was the quarterback the whole year. The offense would have been. Oh, only other game I'll point to. Only other game I'll point to. The Broncos game. She no. was playing pretty shitty. And Fitz was pretty shitty. Excuse me. Fitz came in the game, and what happened? They got in the red zone, and Fitz threw a pick. Because that's what happens in the red zone. Fitz Tua pitch. got sacked six times. Yeah, and Fitz was bad, too. When Fitz took over in the fourth quarter, they did not score a touchdown, and he threw a pick in the red zone. Oh, I love it. I love the hostility. This is... I, can, 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 <laughs> Neither one of them was good, but, but, but Fitz moving the ball downfield more effectively. You gotta admit, at least, the playbook no. has opened up a little bit more with him. Okay, okay, you know, with, it's the Daniel Jones syndrome with Tua, where it's like you struggle to develop a play that's designed to go more than just past the line of scrimmage. Yes. Hold on. I'm not denying that with Fitz, you have more of a chance of completing a ball downfield. You also have more of a chance of throwing a pick. That's why, that's why Fitz's record throughout his career is so horrible because he's a turnover machine. So Brian Flores saw with this defense being as good as it was and the special teams being as good as it was, the best way for the team to win games was if we eliminated interceptions by the quarterback. And by the way, I understand in the Raiders game it wasn't working. What about every other fucking game Tua started where they won? They won because they didn't throw picks. They won because they had, like, an efficient offense and the defense got them a turnover or two. They, that happened, like, for nine straight weeks. And everyone thinks only about that Raiders game. What about the week before when Tua was the first rookie quarterback to beat a Bill Belichick defense in, like, seven years? And ju- the magical Justin Herbert got murdered by that same Patriots defense two weeks ago. Chris saw that game. He was horrible. He was a disaster. And Tua was, like, solid. Yeah, Tua, like, Tua played decent. And, like, Herbert, like... That was just a bad game Chargers effort-wise. Like, special teams, offense, defense. Like, the first game, like, the first drive, like, the Patriots took it, I think, for, like, eight or nine minutes and just shoved it down. That was, that might have been one of the worst performances of the year by any team. Yeah, but, but no, I will agree with Big Rat on the, like, on the two of Patriots. Like, two played a very well, a very good game against the Patriots Week 15. Um, I'm just saying with Tua, like, I was watching the game as well. It was, it was a slow start. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you didn't have that tone-setting defense, it could have turned into a long day very early. But he hung in there. Eventually, second half better than the first half. And that was a, and, that was always a theme of Tua's season. Like, against yeah. the Chiefs in the fourth quarter, he was fucking electric. He led two touchdown drives without Mike Gusecki, like, just going down the field against the Chiefs, yeah. getting them within a chance of winning the game if they got to stop on fourth down. Like... And against the Cardinals was the same thing. He was magnificent against Arizona. LA too. Like so, like yes, Jared. I don't disagree with you that in that Raiders game they would have been better off if it started the whole game. The problem is I, as a Dolphins fan, know what other NFL fans don't. Yeah, that, that's not the narrative for the whole season. And, and, and they, to be clear, because if there were games they would not have won if Fitz was starting instead of Tua. There just right. there are like several. 
Like and, and I, believe me, I mean, this is kind of a, you know, a hindsight thing because by no means, I think, is anybody suggesting that, I, I mean, Fitz is a free agent right now, right? You know, one-year deal. No, I don't think he's not. I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think anybody in their right mind actually thinks that, you know, he's uh, even the short-term answer for them. But, you know, hindsight, a couple of games could have been managed a little bit differently. But I think that Tua has shown enough to where – I I think it would definitely be a mistake for Miami to uh, throw it all away for Deshaun Watson. I mean, as tempting as it is, I think that it's even more intriguing to use these assets. You know, use you know, get creative with the cap room. If they could see, I think that this free agent wide receiver class puts these teams picking in the top half of the draft in such an intriguing position because if you're able to land one of these really strong receivers in free agency or via trade, like if Julio Jones becomes available, a guy like that, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, all of a sudden, if you're Miami with that third pick, you can take, you know, Penai Sewell, forgive me if I butchered that name, and it's like you have infinite options. You're you're not married to Waddle or Devonta Smith, um, you know, somebody like that. You don't have to get the elite receiver in the first round. There's other guys that you could potentially toy with depending on who's available. Um, big rat. There was a who was the person that you said that um I think Fousey Tube. What the guy who said that uh, DK Metcalf was the best receiver of the 2019 draft class. Oh yeah, Fusu Vu, who said that DK Metcalf was was as good as Julio Jones. And then he said that Devonte Devonta Smith is overrated, right? Yes, he thinks mm. Devonta, Devonta Smith is a very small receiver, and like he, his his measurables are very similar. To like D.D. Westbrook and Paul Richardson, and for, for for people listening who don't follow college football, D.D. Westbrook was awesome at Oklahoma. He won the Blitnikoff Award. Like, no, he didn't win the Heisman like Devonta Smith did, but he was a superstar in college for Oklahoma. D.D. Westbrook was, and obviously now he's just like another random receiver on the Jaguars. So there is some fear that just because Devonta Smith won the Heisman does not guarantee him high level at this level because he is a smaller player. And look. The two two stats people should know is just from football perspective. They looked at the adjusted net yards per attempt. I bring that stat on the show a lot because I do think it's one of the more predictive ones for quarterback play. According to adjusted net yards per attempt for the last 31 rookie quarterbacks, the last 31 rookie quarterbacks, Tua ranked like 16. Okay? He did not have – like he he was – like he's like a standard rookie. It's like Jared said, like because they were on a good team and because they had that nationally televised game where he got benched, there's so much attention on him. But he was like he was like your standard rookie quarterback. Furthermore, his adjusted net yards per attempt last year was nearly identical to Joe Burrow. And I've seen no one fucking saying the Bengals should move on from Joe Burrow. And mm. that's that's the frustrating thing as a fan. It's just that it's not that I'm convinced that Tua's going to be a superstar. It's just that I feel this criticism is so harsh. It's so unfair. And, like, it, he's yeah. so much better than, like, Daniel Jones was as a rookie, for example. Not, not to pick on the guy. I'm just no, saying. no, no, you're actually right. I was actually going to say that I think because of – it all has to do with the divisions that these teams play in and the situations they find themselves in throughout the year. So it's like, like, that's what shapes these narratives. It's like Dolphins get destroyed week 17, miss the playoffs at 10 and 6, Tua sucks, but Giants 
win Week 17, miss the playoffs because Doug Peterson is a gutless coward, <laughs> and, oh, they're right there. They deserved it. Oh, da- Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. It's like, dude, like, he didn't play well at all. It's such, and, it's such and, a double standard. Yeah, I, I, I've talked about the Watson thing at nauseum on the show. Like, I, I, I'm i cool either way. I think with Tua, with all the salary cap space they have, with all the draft picks they had, building on a 10-6 and six foundation, it's pretty easy for them if Tua goes through the second-year leap that all second-year quarterbacks go through. It's pretty easy for this team to go from a 10-16 and 16 to, like, a, a better 10-16 and 16 or 11-5 and 5 team, you know, or something like that, if they just stand pat. But, you know, Watson is Watson. It would add a lot of pressure. They would, they would probably have to win now or the next year because their lack of draft capital they'll have moving forward will put the future in doubt. Um, so I get it either way. I'm cool either way with whichever one they do. But only Deshaun. This nonsense. And I, I, I went like on a 10-minute rant about why they can't draft a quarterback. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, oh, dr- oh uh, that, that's got to be out of the question. I, I mean, that, that'd, be, that'd be foolish. I mean, it would be a waste of a pick. Um, unless you got some, unless some other team is willing to give you a stupid amount in return for Tua, then you're just throwing value away. Can I tell you something crazy I just came up with that I could see happening on draft night? What's up? What's the, that? the Dolphins and the Panthers trade. The, the The Panthers take Lance at three, and then you guys get whoever you want at eight. Who you can still get one of the top receivers in the draft. Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, that's that that's the scenario being shared a lot on Dolphin Twitter right now. The the problem is, and like this is what's going to make it uncomfortable for me as a fan, is that these other teams have to believe the Dolphins are a threat to take a quarterback because last year, us Dolphin fans were doing this with the Lions. Oh, the Lions will trade down from three to five with the Dolphins so we can go get Tua. But the problem is the Dolphins never believed that the Lions could actually take a quarterback, so they didn't trade up with them. It ended up working out awesome. Our quarterback fell to us at five anyways. But the point is, like, there could be teams that just say, oh, well, I don't believe the Dolphins are going to take a quarterback, so we're not going to bother trading with them. We're going to trade with someone else. So I do think it's going to make me uncomfortable as a fan. I do think, because Chris Greer and Brian Flores, they did this a lot last year. They leaked to everybody in the media that they could take an offensive lineman, you know, that they could trade up to three to take an O-lineman. Apparently they were trying to convince the Chargers that they were a threat to take Justin Herbert to prevent so they, they could get something in return from the Chargers. So you could see the Dolphins leak. And I'm saying this right now. They could very well leak interest in a quarterback. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if they leaked that through the media to make it seem like they could take a quarterback to get one of these teams to trade with them. Like, that doesn't mean they're going to actually move on from Tua, but I can totally see people connecting them to Justin Fields and Trey Lance and all these kids just so that they can convince, credibly convince the Panthers that they're a threat and the Panthers need to move up to get their guy. I don't remember who it is. I said to bring it up quickly because you said Justin Fields, but someone had like Fields going to the Steelers at like 25, and I just laughed at that. Like, that's crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, and even too, like I saw Todd Mc. I, I also two things. I don't know why Todd McShay had the Patriots taking Fields at 15. I don't think he's going to last that long. And I also don't understand why everyone takes Mel Kiper's mock draft as like the Bible. Like, I know Mel's a great uh, prospect. Looking at prospects and everything, it's just everyone takes what he says as like gospel, if you will. Yeah, uh, his evaluation of prospects is elite. It's but like that's different than having like intel on what teams are going to take. Those are those mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing I feel like about this year's draft is that someone is going to move up to get Mac Jones within the top twenty, and it's going to be a mistake. Because I feel like oh, I hope I hope it's Philly, man. Please take <laughs> please take Mac Jones. Come on, can I go for the truck. 
they gotta go for the trifecta here. They uh, oh my let's see, they missed, they missed on uh, on Metcalf uh, for that guy whose name is really hard to pronounce. JJ and uh, or take a white side. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, they missed and on Jefferson. Jalen Rager and the Vikings take him with the very next pick. Have you guys ever seen the video of like uh, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman uh, and Rick Spielman talking? They assume it's like, oh, they're gonna take Jefferson, and then once they realize they didn't, they're like laughing about it. like, all right, cool, we'll take Jefferson, no problem. Yeah, they're cracking huge smiles because they had no idea, no expectation that Jefferson would be there. Yeah. Oh, also, um, Big Rat, the whole thing that you were talking about the with the Dolphins saying the quarterback thing to get someone overpay. Um, Peter King, who we talk about on the show a lot, obviously one of the best football writers ever, dream guest for me to have on this show. Um, he spent the 2017 draft with John Lynch. Yeah. And I knew, and I remember he, they were in the war room at the Niners facility, and the Niners, all along, we they knew they were going to take Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas was their guy, and they knew that the Bears, they basically finessed the Bears out of four picks to move up one spot to get Mitch Trubisky. That's just something that yeah. will always be ingrained in my mind. It's on YouTube on the Sports Illustrated's channel, Peter King spending draft day with uh, John Lynch. It's a great it's a great article, and, it, and it's a great example. Like The Bears only did that because they had to believe the Niners were a threat to take Trubisky. Like, if the Niners... There's no if, if the Niners are definitely not going to take a quarterback, then they would just wait another pick, get their guy, and not have to give up the picks. But that only worked because the Niners could sell themselves as a threat. So, like, please, I ask this for both of you because I know it's going to happen. There's going to be, like, a month before the draft, like, there's going to be, like, something from Daniel Jeremiah. The Dolphins are interested in taking a quarterback. I'm going to get a mention from Danny about it. He's going to be all obnoxious about it. Like, do yeah. not – do not – there is a plausible reason why they would leak those reports even if they're not going to take one. So. They're fishing. It's as simple yeah. as that. They're, they're fishing. They want they, – because if they say that, people are going to go and knock on their door to try to move up, and that's where Chris Greer can, like, go in for the kill. Because in a realistic world, I feel Lawrence is going to go one, and then Wilson's going to go two to the Jets. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Dude could, dude, could you imagine – could you – I mean, maybe this is maybe this is a reason it's unrealistic, but, like – Trent Baalke has done stupid things before, yes. All right, all right, all right. So maybe maybe there's more pieces in play than just swapping picks here. There would have to be. But let's just say a package were to be assembled, and the, and the Falcons wanted to move up a slot, which in turn sends Julio Jones to Miami while they're swapping first-round picks. <laughs> Dude, how, how tits would that be for Miami? <laughs> if the Dolphins, great. All the Dolphins need to do. All they need to do, because it's not just expected growth from Tua. Like, they started three rookie offensive linemen last year, and the O-line was okay. It was like middle. People think it's terrible. It's not. It's like the 19th best offensive line in the league. You know? It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, not that 19th is, like, awesome, but, you know, it's it's not 32nd. And so and they started three rookie O-linemen. So if those guys all get better naturally in the second-year progression, along with the quarterback, then, man, all you need to do is get, like, another receiver or two and a better back, and the offense should be fine. Like, yeah, man, you got that studly guard from Miami in there. Oh, shut Great. Shut. <laughs> He's okay. <laughs> There's so many teams that would kill for okay at their guard position in today's NFL. Just saying. And if you're the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs, you'd want that as your backup. Yeah, this, a team lost the Super Bowl because of this. Yes. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's one thing, I'm sorry, that goes so unnoticed is your depth on your bench. You just can't rely on your starters to always succeed. You need depth. And also, too, you know, Mike Remmers 
has cost Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes a Super Bowl. Poor guy, man. <laughs> and, we, and, and of course, naturally, we brought him in a, a year or two ago, sharp our own line. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, D- Dave Gettleman, like, th- this offseason for him, like, I think, like, thank the Lord that he hit on Blake Martinez and James Bradbury. Might have saved his job. Oh, man. Along with, you know... I mean, because he, I mean, he's tied to Daniel Jones at the end of the day. But this guy, like, I've defended his drafting. I think that he's had, I think that he's had some solid drafts since he got here, three in a row. But free agency and trades before last offseason, abysmal. Yeah, I, can I be honest with you? I was kind of surprised. Like, I shook my head when I'm like, why did Blake Martinez go to the Giants? And now I get it. Like. You guys needed linebacker help. David Mayo is good, but he's not like that voice. Like Blake Martinez, like the fans seem to love him. The players seem to like hear him, and like he seems to be a true leader in that locker room. Yeah, absolutely. Dude's been a tackling machine. I mean, I remember at the time, um, I, I was wondering like why, like when I saw Corey Littleton signed with the Raiders for only like a few million more per year than we gave Blake and we had all that cap space. I was just like, oh my gosh, typical Giants. That this this was the backup plan. They could they couldn't get the number one guy. They had to get this. And I mean it, it's worked out beautifully. I mean, he's been a tackling machine. I was about to just say, a great great piece to build around. I was about to what? say, yeah, that's a bit better than what Littleton joined in Vegas. Yeah, right. <laughs> is also the things that get you Bradbury. It's like every general manager's Achilles heel, they bring in the guys they know. Like, my fucking team can't stop bringing in Patriots players. Gettleman wanted to bring all his guys from Carolina, and that's how you get James Bradbury doing really and, and well. Then, and then he wanted those freaking castaways from Arizona, too, when we had James Betcher as our defensive coordinator. That 2018-19 stretch, holy shit. Someone hired Betcher. I think it was San Francisco. They, they did. Yeah, yeah, that shocked me. Like the the better hire for San Francisco shocked me. Uh, the that Mike Pettin getting fired was not a shock at all. The biggest shock to me was the fact that the Bears got rid of Chuck Pagano, yet they kept Bill Lazor, which I think is more their problem. Yeah, who who like doesn't that can't you just imagine like the Bears trading like a second round pick for Sam Darnold, and it's just like oh my god, like <laughs> they're the team that I I I I came out with a TikTok and I said this. This is an NFL hot take, but I think the Chicago Bears are that team that are going to trade up and get Mac Jones. It, it, be yeah, a, that, that, that would be very much in their nature. I was partic- I was excited before he went to the Colts. I was about the possibility of Carson Wentz being dealt to the Bears for none other than Nick Foles and Tariq Cohen. It, it would be. It would be if, like the Bears. The Bears like are trying to save their job. Like obviously both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. And like so, you could do what like Jerry Reese did before 2016. You spend millions of dollars on in free agency to get a win now team, like they did with that Giants team, that Giants defense, and then it doesn't sustain. But someone else said, you know, you could just take a rookie quarterback and then use that as like a crutch. Like, oh, I mean, if you fire me, the new kid is the new quarterback is going to have to go through a second OC, a second head coach, a new system. You got to at least give me two years. So that would be smart on their end. And something I learned. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but something I learned from the Bear, from a Bears fan is that the Hallis McCaskey, uh, Mc, uh, she does not fire coaches midseason. So I think these guys are here all through 2021, and if they 
don't make the playoffs or they don't finish better than eight and eight, then I think it's out for Pace and Nagy. Yeah, the, that, that's why they might need like if, if so maybe they can convince themselves that they can get a veteran and maybe they can do enough with their roster to get there. But if they don't, it could be like a, a, apparently, according to a Bengals reporter, this is why they didn't fire Zach Taylor. It's because they they like the progress he made with Burrow and Burrow obviously now going through a long rehab. They didn't want Burrow to have to learn a new OC, a new system in its second year. So it just makes sense to keep Taylor around. So the Bears have two ways to go. They can either spend a bunch of money and a bunch of win-now players if it's good enough to make the playoffs, or you go completely in the other direction. You draft a rookie quarterback, you hope the rookie quarterback looks good, and hope that's enough to keep you around. Um, there's a po- draft podcast I listen to. I'd recommend the two of you check it out. It's called 2 for 1 Drafts and Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. Um, they the, the one host came on record in saying that they think Mac Jones' ceiling is what Kirk Cousins was as a rookie. Yeah, I, I, mean, t- I don't disagree with it at all. Well, I, I'm just I'm just happy that, like, all this fucking slander that people threw on Tua with, like, the whole, you know, Mac Jones had better numbers at the Bama than Tua did, at least that's not translating to Mac Jones is a better draft prospect, thankfully. I'm glad we're smart enough to make a difference. It's just some, some team's going to, some team, and I feel like it's going to be the Bears, are going to move up and overpay to go get Mac. That's the only thing I fear. Like, I, Mac Jones in the second round, or even... The Bears don't have to move. They could probably get him at 20, and it's a fine pick. But if they move up to, like, 10 or 11 and get him, then, yeah, you're going to have fan fans lash back. Because I feel like the Bears fan base is kind of like, you know that show, My Super Sweet 16? Yeah. You know how sometimes you see the girl not get the car she wanted, and she kind of pissed about it? Mm-hmm. That's Bears fans. I feel like no matter what they do, their fans are going to be stubborn forever. Unfortunately, true. Well, I mean, they haven't had a franchise Matt, quarterback in like 50 years with Sid Luckman. Matt, Matt, Matt Jones is just, I don't know, to me, he's like, Greg Rosenthal said this on his podcast a few months ago, and it, it always has stuck with me. He's just like the quarterback you can get in every draft. It's like, next year, there will be another quarterback very similar to Matt Jones. Like, Bo Nix. So it's like, I mean, maybe they won't have won a national championship like Matt Jones did, but like in terms of like the prototype, you know, that size the lack of mobility, like, their ability to operate a college offense effectively. It's like, you can get a guy like that every year. Like, they're just not that unique. You know, these teams, there's so much quarterback uncertainty in the league now. There's teams that are in need. When's somebody going to take a chance on Josh Rosen and give him a real chance to play? I feel like he's gotten a raw deal the last few years, and people have already written him off as another failure top ten bust, and no one's really... No, no team, no coach has believed in him enough to give him the opportunity to, to really see if if he can materialize. I mean, the one season he had in Arizona was a terrible situation, and they already had aspirations of tearing it all down, getting Kingsbury, getting Kyler, and then in Miami, you know, he, he was just a you know just another transitional dude. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not ready to write the guy off. Fitz, uh, so there's a lot of reports out of Miami that, like, Fitz, like, in training camp, was, like, mocking Josh Rosen to some reporters and to other players. And Fitz, like, you know, for all his flaws, like, he's a fun personality, obviously. He's, like, a really entertaining guy. He's the kind of guy that everyone loves. And so it's, like, he's knocking this quarterback, you know, embarrassing him. And then the team wants to play for Fitz because Fitz is so fun and so energetic. It's just kind of... Mm-hmm. 
it gave Rosen no chance because they were losing. Everyone was miserable, and Flores had to be like, okay, I gotta play Fitz because because the team wants Fitz. They don't want Rosen, and you know Rosen's not being given a real chance here, like on such a bad team, etc. Like it, it was a raw deal, but. I do hope he does. He's on San Francisco now. So if there's an injury or two and he can take over, that would be a chance. Right. Uh, yeah, but, 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 you know, San Francisco, they're, they're already ready to move on from him because uh, they're, they're already hitting up the Panthers about Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> when, when, I really want to know, when are these teams going to realize that these mediocre backup quarterbacks that fall into amazing situations are not good? Like, Teddy Bridgewater playing with Sean Payton, taking over for Drew Brees in the middle of the season for a few games, goes 5-0 five and, five and oh or 5-1 and one or whatever. 5-0. Nick oh. Foles. Five and yeah, oh. all right, well, good for him. But Nick Foles takes over after Carson Wentz builds a freaking 11-2 11, 11 record or whatever that was, and, you know, they wind up playing two dome teams in the frigid cold in the January NFC playoffs and go win a Super Bowl. And then the Jaguars get – because I think that those contracts are really comparable. You know, teams, like, just overvaluing at this small sample size. Let's throw a lot of money at Nick Foles. We're the Jaguars. Oh, we're already done with him. The Panthers, let's throw a lot of money at Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, we're already ready to get rid of him. I, I agree with everything you said with one modification. They're not mediocre yeah. backups. They're good backups. They're just mediocre quarterbacks. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. By backup standards, people like yeah. It's it really. I think that this syndrome began with the Max Flynn thing, you know. Yeah. Where people are like, "Wow, that guy's really good for a backup quarterback. He must be great." Can I say something quickly about Mac Jones? I, I'm just on Twitter. I see a tweet from Marcus Spears of ESPN that said, "Watching hashtag Mac Jones tape, bunch of hard eyes emojis, y'all." Hashtag Mac Jones good at QB. Yeah. We'll see. Um, can I say one thing quickly too about the whole 2018 Cardinals situation? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Steve Wilkes is one of the worst hire, not one of the worst hires in NFL history, but it's one of the most regrettable hires. I feel like they were like, like this time where oh, all these Carolina defensive coordinators were the hot candidates. Like, look at Sean McDermott with Buffalo. We'll do Wilkes, and it's the same thing. And then they slowly realized, hey, he's not the guy. And there was that one turning point where the Broncos, who were bad at the time, absolutely obliterated them on prime time. Oh yeah, Rosen threw two pick sixes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's situations like that that don't really benefit him. I also think too, him coming out and being pissed off about being taken tenth when he feels like he should have gone top five. I think those are the things you know that you kind of keep quiet to yourself. He, he definitely, he definitely deserves some blame. I'm not, I'm not trying to say he. I think me and Jared both agree. Like he does deserve some blame for what happened. No doubt about it. It's just it, both things can be true. He made mistakes publicly. He made mistakes in the locker room. And he also wasn't given a fair chance in the field. They're both true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Look, he deserves a second chance. I'm just saying, I feel like it's going to take a team that maybe, I'm, I was going to say Detroit as a backup, but I know that I think Chase Daniels still there on a pretty good deal behind Jared Goff. I think I think San Francisco, here's his best case scenario. San Francisco doesn't trade Jimmy G, even though I think they will. But let's say they don't for whatever reason. Can I step in for a second? I think you keep Jimmy. You keep Jimmy G. You keep Rosen as the backup instead of Mullins. Jimmy G gets hurt again because that's what he does. He gets hurt. 
and then Rosen comes in in a Shanahan-led offense with good talent, that would be his best chance to make an impression. And then he could go 5-0, and sign for $20 million in the next offseason, and Jared can get all mad about it. Um, the one thing, the one thing I was gonna say about Jimmy is I feel like it's either he stays or he gets cut, and if he gets cut, Patriots Twitter's gonna lose their fucking minds. Man, like, fine, I get it. Like, he's probably an upgrade over the modern version of Cam. It's just he gets he got hurt in New England too. Yeah, he got well, against Miami this, actually. This fan base, this fan base. I mean, you guys might be a little bit more dialed in than I am on the Pats, but like, it really seems to me like. This fan base just thrives on familiarity. You know, after having the same quarterback and system in place for 20 years, you know, of course that would that would be the solution, would be to reel back in Jimmy G. Because I think you saw last year, I mean, they were just, they were so cavalier in their, in their offseason. Trading back in the draft when, with the needs that they had, to trade out of the first round. I, I, can, I mean, can I cut you off right there? Yeah. Because, Jared, I am a Patriots fan. I don't know if I made that clear from before. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. No. <laughs> I personally think with that 23rd pick, I think Belichick wanted Jefferson. But once Jefferson was gone, he saw an opportunity to move back. And I'm also going to say this too. Them at 15 will not stay. I think they either move up or they move down. And I, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine that either. I, I, I guess what I, what I was getting at there was that, like, it's just like the whole time Brady was in place that you kind of – everybody else just kind of filtered in, and you never saw them, like, go and, like, get a really great player to to shake things up. You know, whether it was a, a sexy draft pick or an acquisition in free agency or trade. Like, not since I – don't, I don't know Moss Welker – era you know getting going out and getting a player to be like all right we're, we're, this is going to be a key acquisition or addition in some way I, I agree but on the receiver thing and like jefferson would have been like obviously a really good upgrade but like and i've said this to grip before and i will say this forever when i remember this area of the patriots they had to give Nikhil harry another year you are a bad organization if you draft someone in the first round, play them eight games, and then don't even give them a chance to play again the next year. That is that's terrible. true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have to, like now it's different. Now it's been two years. Now there's more room, more leniency to give other guys those snaps. But they had to give Nikhil Harry another year. That's why, like me and Griffin talked about it before. Like if Brady came back, then yes, it would have been Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman and all those guys again, and it should have been. You don't move on from Nikhil Harry after eight games. You just don't. No, like well, I, well, well, here, well, here's the question though. After after a guy like you know Jamie Collins leaves, I mean, you know, I know that you're you're a little bummed you missed out on JJ. Why not take a Patrick Queen right there? You know, there's there's options. I, I don't. I didn't mind them moving back. Like they did all right draft this year. Like Kyle Duggar was solid. Josh Uche is improving. Michael Owenu in the sixth round. Like if you look at a lot of remocks from 2020, Michael Owenu is going in the first round. They ended up having a, a good draft, just no first-round pick. But they ended up – those rookies are good. That, that is one thing that pisses me off is when people say, oh, Bill Belichick, the GM, is so bad. He hasn't ever done, gotten his great superstar in the first round. When most f- logical football fans know, you win the draft by who you take on day two and day three. Because day one, it's just one guy. Day two and day three, you're taking a lot more, and those are the guys that are going to help you down the road to win. Like – the only pick I would say they kind of whiffed on is Dalton Keene, but we'll see what happens with him. Um, sure. 
And no, no, Uche was a good pick. You know, at the yeah. time, you know, looked like a steal. Oh no, I like the Uche pick. Um, even this year too. Yeah. Like, I was, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I will be okay with a multitude of options with this team does. Like, I'll be okay if they go for Felipe Franks and like a later round pick or a Sam Ellinger out of Texas and like develop them. Because I think the Jared Stidham experiment kind of failed. Meanwhile, with the Pats, like if they go defense or offense, I'm not going to be mad. But I feel like most Pats fans are expecting them to go get a quarterback or a receiver or Kyle Pitts. Mm. But even on like day two and day three, there's solid guys they can get. There's the I'm blanking on his name right now, Big Rap, but the Miami tight end. Oh, Brevin Jordan. Yeah, him. Like if they get him, I'll be thrilled. Brevin Jordan's one of my favorite players in U.S. history. Him or uh, Tommy Tremble from I, Notre I actually, Dame. I I could I could see. If Pitts does fall, which which maybe he does, if the if the disbursement of the uh, wide receivers ends up being a little bit more spread out, I could see the Patriots hanging around and take him. I would be thrilled with Kyle Pitts. Like even yeah. too, like if they got like a Gregory Rousseau to come off the edge because that's something they need. But even oh. too, big rap for free agency. Like I'm kind of like what Mike Jared Parsons. was saying earlier. Like. Or Micah Parsons even, too. I would love him. The only player they have going in mocks I wouldn't want is J.C. Horn. I feel like Horn at 15, not really. If they if they move down and take Horn at, like, say, 24, 25, somewhere in that range, I wouldn't be mad. It's just not at 15. Um, the other thing I was going to say, too, even, like, uh, you know how I, well, I'm losing my wording. If the Patriots are free agency, I'm not expecting them to go out and get, like, oh, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, this, this, and this. If they go out there and get, like, an Adam Humphreys for the cheap or Jarrell Casey from the Broncos... Two guys who won Bill Belichick as praise in the past in Casey and Adam Humphreys, who the Patriots wanted to get when he was released from Tampa, I think in 2018. If they get them on the cheap, I'll be fine with it. And also, too, I said this, Adam Humphreys fits the Patriots mold perfectly. Absolutely. and they. Uh, I, I, I agree. That, that's probably the route that they're going to go. I, I don't see them being in play for one of the studly receivers. They're probably going to go bargain on Dick. And look, look, look. I will say the quarterback thing, you know, we'll see what they do. It sounds like... They're interested in a bunch of quarterbacks. They're kind of just gauging like what what's what's the right move to make. They haven't fully ruled out just bringing back Cam, but they're going to look around first. Cam was look, Cam was twenty first in the NFL in touchdowns last year among quarterbacks. Twenty first. You would think it was thirty second, but he was not. It was twenty first. And so Jimmy G, even if like his per snap play is like slightly higher. He's also more likely to miss, like, four games. Like, that's the thing with the Jimmy G thing. Like, I understand, like, like Patriots fans' vision is, like, we get this guy out from the opt-outs, but we can just kind of, like, we can just kind of, like, get back to being what we were supposed to I think, but, you know, oh, like... I was going like, to say, I wasn't yeah, sure we lost or not. We can kind of get back to being what we were supposed to be, but, like, I, I just don't know if that's realistic. I don't know. We'll see. I would like to see it, but I wouldn't be mad. I'm also at a crossroads, too, with Cam, where I'm kind of at that point where if they bring him back, I'm not going to be mad. The only thing is, though, it just depends on how much money he takes. Like, he only made $3 million before bonuses last year. I don't think that will happen again. But I'm not saying go out there and give him 15 to $20 million a year. Like, if they can get him for, like, somewhere between 5 to 10 I will be okay with it. But I don't want this whole, oh, he just signs a one-year deal. I want a long-term option at quarterback. I don't want to be doing this whole, like, year-by-year basis thing. Um, if, yeah, even if you just get a veteran, almost certainly you will still draft someone, you know, just to get, like, your new stint up. Exactly. Because so, I, I feel like there's some people, too, who are saying, oh, the Patriots are on a downward trajectory, but a lot of people are forgetting how much they were affected by opt-outs, and they're getting them back. Like, Dante Hightower is the voice of our defense. Patrick Chung's another great, reliable piece of the secondary. 
And you know why I also think the Patriots are going to go bargain hunting, guys? It's because they have so many in-house signings they got to get done. Guys like David Andrews, J.C. Jackson, Adam Butler, Joe Tooney even, James White. Like, there's guys who are in-house who need long-term extensions. And who, David Andrews, I want to see on the Patriots for life, like Matthew Slater. Hey, at, at the end of the AFC title game, look, whether you agree with him or not, at the end of the Chiefs-Bills game, Romo was talking about the landscape of the AFC next year. And he said, yeah, I mean, I also going to put the Patriots in my list of teams that could come back. And he specifically said they're going to get guys back from opt-outs. They have a lot of cap space. Listen, none of us right now are going to predict them to make the AFC title game on this podcast. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't, like, like – they, I think it's very possible they get better, not worse, because of they just have more resources than every other team in the league right now. Exactly. Like, how, it's, how, it's, how do they get worse? I, I just don't see that. It's like the wrong. And it's not. It's not really like a. I don't know about worse. I, I think like stay like staying in place is possible. Like it could sure. be. It could be very status quo as far um, as far as what the AFC East uh, looked like this past season. Um, or if the Patriots are improved, we could see an NFC West situation where you've got the, them cannibalizing one another, and maybe there there's once again only one team coming out of that division. Only now the gap's a little narrower. Um, it, it's just it's so tough when you have like three good teams in one division. Like it's it's basically like, it's damn near impossible for all of them to finish with double digit wins. My best case scenario, honestly, for the AFC East is that there's parity where, like, you know what, hey, Buffalo's probably going to be the kings of the division for the foreseeable future. But, like, if New England and Miami are in, like, this dogfight where they're, like, second, third, second, third, I'm okay with it. Or even, too, if there's a year where, you know what, like, the one thing I want to say about Buffalo even for next year is, and this may sound crazy, but, like, is it too weird or not believable that, hey, they may take a step back just because teams are going to figure them out and they're going to have a target on their back for next year? Of course, their defense looks fucking terrible right now. And anytime you have a bad defense, like you can't guarantee thirteen wins. And right now, I mean, they look like they can't stop a nosebleed. They, also, I would, I would like Josh Allen last year under pressure was twenty first in the NFL in passer rating. So, especially in the second half of the season when they really start to go on a tear, like he was never getting touched. And then you saw in that Chiefs game, which has always been my thing with Allen, it's the when he gets pressured, it's like a disaster. It's like a fumble. A twenty-yard sack, you know, it's like some—it's like some crazy bad outcome. You even saw it in that Colts game in the fourth quarter. Like when he gets pressured, it's not just a sack; it's like a disastrous play. It like never happened last year. But if that starts to—if they get like more O-line injuries, you know, like little injuries, they lose their left guard in week three out for the year. Little things like that. If that builds up over time, that could be a—that could be a real serious problem. They also have a few also, offensive the, the linemen. Area of these one-dimensional teams. The Bills basically, I mean, it was basically, they were like the poor man's Chiefs this year, uh, where kind of winning in the same fashion week after week. They they don't have a defense. They really don't even attempt to run the ball. It's literally Allen to Diggs, and then the rest kind of falls into place. And you're going to run into that game where maybe it's against the Patriots, but J.C. Jackson emerging, where Diggs is limited and they got to find other ways. And, and Big Red, to your point, if Allen is being is also simultaneously being pressured, I mean that could be that could be their wake up call that they got to get a little bit you know uh, more you know complex uh, you know get some versatility out there. Imagine how bad it, I would laugh at this just because I hate them. 
But imagine how funny it would be if the Buffalo Bills were like this team where they kind of struggled, where they have a full stadium next year, and the year they do great was the year that no one could go see them during the regular season. <laughs> it's, it's like what I said about the Jaguars a couple of years ago, where like, you know, they looked like they were the new kids on the block. They had a great defensive foundation. And then, like, by the following year, it's going to be like, yeah, we're really just going to look back on that as, hey, remember that one season where the Jaguars were randomly good? Well, I mean, the Miles Jack play kind of really was downhill from there, from them, from that point yep, on. Yep. And also heard Calais Campbell come on and say that they lost a couple key guys in the locker room that, like, are the voices of the team. Because that's the big thing with the Bills going into this offseason. They have a bunch of offensive linemen, I think by a bunch, I mean three, who are free agents. And they also have guys like Matt Milano and stuff. And they also do not have a lot of money to spend. They, I think they have a million. Bills, yeah. yeah. Their cap situation is not pretty. Matt, Matt Milano is not only like a really good linebacker and a really good leader, when he was hurt in the first half of the year, that's when their defense, like Mike Gusecki, lit their asses up for like 150 yards in week two. Like they were struggling without him. And then when he came back, the defense kind of routed into him a little bit. That could be the, you could just easily see if he signs elsewhere, you could see the articles like in November when the Bills are like six and four instead of, you know, like eight and two. And it's like, yeah, you know, their defense is really missing the presence of Matt Like, You could just totally see stuff like that happening. Because even to their run game, like, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, like, they're good RB2s, but they need an RB1. Like, if they went out there and got, like, an ETN or a Najee Harris in the first round, I think that's what they need more than anything this year is a solid running back that's just going to pound the rock. Although, to be fair, they're re- you really saw, I think, in the league this year, a lack of an RB1 kind of across the board. I mean, almost every single team nowadays is doing it by committee. There, there's maybe a handful that are, you know, it's an RB1 carrying the entire load. Because even even the really good ones, they want to conserve the carries. Yeah, it's like Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, James Robinson. And, like, even someone like Josh Jacobs, like, he was splitting carries a lot. Miles Sanders was splitting carries a lot, so. Even Aaron, like, Aaron Jones, like. Rob Rock, and Fournette, like, yeah. Um, That's one question I wanted to ask you guys quickly, just because you know, obviously, the Bucs, they'd like, they love to bring everyone back. Out of Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette, which one do you think is more likely to receive a big money offer and leave? Because I have a feeling it's Leonard, I feel like both are going to leave, but I feel like someone's going to overpay for Fournette. Yeah, I mean, overpay relative to their position, of course. He yeah. still is a back and all that. But, yeah, I mean, teams teams love to – usually a, a good sign of, like, the dumb teams in the NFL, and my team is one of them um, that used to do this a lot. You pay a lot, like, the playoff heroes, the, the guys that played well in the Super Bowl. Like, the Dolphins gave Danelle Ellerby a ginormous contract because he played really well in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. It's like, usually that's a good, like, telltale sign of a team that's clueless. And I could see something like that here where someone just gives Fournette like a ton of money for having a really good playoff run, despite him being kind of up and down throughout the regular season. Yeah, because I feel like... Well, he wasn't really giving... Yeah, he wasn't being played a lot in the regular season. Like, Arians had no confidence in him early in the year. He had like two good games and that was it. Because like Ronald Jones was doing most of the running. Because I feel like with the Bucs, like, I feel like Gronk is... Gronk's staying as long as Tom's playing. And Antonio Brown, like Tom's just gonna hand him a contract where it's like, just sign, just sign this, and you're good. Like, the, yeah, Godwin, I, they could franchise tag Godwin. Um, that could be the way to keep him. But yeah, I mean, they have decisions to make. Shaq Barrett's a free agent. Sue, like Sue said, he wants to come back, but 
I know Sue very, very well from his time in Miami. That dude's the ultimate mercenary. That dude's the ultimate whoever pays me the highest amount. And, you know, the team, like, he won't, he won't take, like, a big money offer from the Texans. But whoever pays me the highest amount and I have, like, a reasonable chance to win, that's where I'm going. So if they're looking to save money, I, I, I could totally see Godwin leaving, um, especially considering, you know, Brady likes Storm to Scotty Miller, too, and he would be more involved if he left. When Antonio Brown, you know, emerged, when he joined the team, that was that kind of coincided with that winning streak, with them really finding their footing. And, I mean, you know that Tom loves the guy. And Godwin, I mean, he, he kind of, his production took a step backwards. If you look at what he put up with Jameis the year prior, because he just wasn't seeing as many targets. And granted, like Evans, he was usually the um, the subject of some heavy coverage uh, by, you know, those lockdown corners. But they have enough weapons out there, and especially considering the fact that with, with the way their offense functions now, with how key running the ball is, you don't need four or five good wide receivers on that team. You can get by with dropping potentially the most expensive one. I actually uh, wrote an article, because I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, that I'm starting to get into more writing articles just about football, and I mentioned that the Patriots could go after Chris Godwin, because I was, I, I know it may or may not happen, I was just saying, guys who I think can go there, if you want to know the full article, go onto my Twitter You'll find it, the link to the WordPress and everything. But I was saying how, like, if Godwin leaves, like, you're going to have Mike Evans, you're going to have Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, even Tyler Johnson, who had some key catches in the playoffs. Like, when it came down to ice the game, who yes. did Tom go to? A fifth-round pick from Minnesota. Uh, they have Justin Watson, too. Uh, so, like, I feel like if Chris Godwin leaves, yeah, the Bucks will the Bucks won't be happy about it. But at the same time, too, it's not like, oh, crap, we have a receiver problem. No, hey, we have a nice lineup of guys who we can rely on. And that's why they're probably. I could see them. It, it could be just an outbidding situation if they don't franchise tag him. And the other thing too is Devin White is due to get paid or due for a contract extension after this year. So, like I was saying earlier with Devonte Adams, you got to look at who's up down the road and are they more important than now? Because even to someone like Levante David could target get a lot of money in free agency as well. Sure, David. David is a good candidate to leave because. You could one. He's still good. Like he's old and also a Super Bowl hero, but he's also still good. He's a great. Like you could totally see someone paying him a lot of money, and the Bucks. Like when they have to match, it's just kind of like we obviously do not want to lose you, but we're going to give Devin White big money very soon. They want to keep. Like they want to. They can't keep all these guys. You can't keep Barrett, Godwin, Sue, David. Give White his big extension next year. It's just like. This is the NFL. Like you have to make those tough decisions, and because he, JT, JTT, I, I heard that he wants new fingers. You know, they, they got all this money with the Super Bowl. They can give him bionic. Uh, you know, he has more sacks and interceptions without his fingers than he did with his fingers. That's a good dude. I, I I I missed him running around with that club. Uh, I yeah. remember my fantasy name one year was uh, JPP Fireworks Company. <laughs> Oof. Uh, so yeah, like, it, the point is, David, because he's the oldest, and because they're going to spend big money at another player at his position within a year, I think that's the one that makes the most sense to say, okay, we love you, but it might be better for you to go elsewhere. Because even something, too, like, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Mike Evans said after the Super Bowl, oh, I'll give money back, no problem. Like, yeah, you can say that in the moment, but when it comes time to do that, are you really willing to give that money back? Because yeah, this is a league where you have to look out for yourself. Not only do you have to look out for your team... 
you've got to look out for yourself because the NFL is the one league, and some people hate this, but I love this, where nothing's guaranteed. Yeah. Right. And who mentioned that? I'm sure. Who? What player mentioned this recently? I, I maybe it might have even been uh, been Justin Tuck um, talking about how guys don't go broke in the league. It's five years after they leave. Usually is when they're hurting. I may have been Justin Tuck to be honest. Might have been Tuck. I feel like I saw that. Um, it, it came from somebody in the last few days. But, but yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, to your point, nothing being guaranteed. Great, great for the teams. Very bad for the players. Risky situation because you know you could. The average length of a career is what three years. Yeah, and like that's why, like, you know, for people who mock like some NFL players for making a lot of money, like one, it, I mean, it is. Am I? I'm not. This is a huge philosophical thing. I'm not going to get into right now, but like. I do think it is important. I do think this industry matters. I do think it contributes a lot to society, these communities. But also, some of those guys only get, like, those millions of dollars for a few years. Like, they have to try to, like, obviously, you know, you try to find new skills. You try to find new things to do. But, you know, when all your education is spent on football, it's sometimes hard to not not necessarily find other jobs. Obviously, a bunch of other players do. But find it at the same level of success at the level of the millions of dollars they can make doing this. Like, that's tough for me. Dude, anybody who anybody who complains about NFL contracts, which are like rarely, if ever, predominantly guaranteed money, I and they're not a fan of Major League Baseball. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you know, the, the compare it, it's it's uncanny. I mean, a sport where, where everything is guaranteed. These guys are locked up for like a decade. I mean, I, I'm I am absolutely in favor of. Because uh, it's it, it really truly is based on what have you done for me lately? Uh, what is the here and now of what you're capable of? And if after a year you're not producing, then that money is probably going out the door. And even too, like look at Fernando Tatis Jr. Like he's I think 22, and he's already going to be making more money than I think the three of us will combine in our lifetime. Yeah, and and the guy hasn't even played um, the equivalent of a full season over multiple years. <laughs> Like, exactly. That's just the point I wanted to make, like, where it's, hey, you have a good thing going now, but, like, down the road, this is where it looks bad. Like, a lot of teams, that's why the NFL, like, I know a lot of people say the whole, oh, guaranteed money, like, you can just snatch their careers like that. But the NFL, like, 100% is a what-have-you-done-for-me-now late league. Like, for baseball, for example, say if Tatis by year 8 or year 9, like, he kind of declines, everyone's going to look at that contract and go, oh, why'd you do that? Because the Padres have something like, I think, $800 million locked up within their infield. Like, imagine if an NFL team had that. Like, their fans would be going ballistic if they don't win a championship. Dude, dude if, if any NFL team had the the second 10-year Alex Rodriguez contract, like, tell me they they wouldn't be outside the stadium with torches and pitchforks. 10-year deal, and the guy's, you know, getting hurt every year, or, or he's got a steroid scandal, suspended for the whole year, still getting all his millions. Like, the NFL, you got a guy like, you know, mentioned Nick Foles earlier, you know, they escape they escaped that after a year. Looked horrible at the time, found a way out of it. I mean it really I mean, you know, it is definitely in the players' best interest to get as much as they can in the moment because yeah, whatever the team's willing to give you now, it, you know, maximize your worth. Exactly. Um, anyway guys, I think uh, we we've been talking for long enough. This has been a fantastic podcast. Um I actually have one quick question for Jared before we wrap up. Uh, is this yep. podcast trust fund approved now? 
Oh, it sure is. In fact, when you got my name wrong at the start of the show, I was going to correct you and remind all your listeners that my name is Jared Silberkleit, and that's spelled S-I-L-B-E-R-K-L-E-I-T. Be sure to go to my Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash Jared Silberkleit Trust Fund for all your seven-figure shirts. <laughs> I absolutely loved it, Jared. I'm gonna have to have you back on sometime in the f- near future. Big Rats, welcome as always. Because Big Rats always, Big Rats, one of the top contributors to the podcast, and I love it every time I get to have him on to talk football. Well, anyway, guys, you know where to find Jared's shirt. Big Rat and I will always be here. Jared will be back in the near future. But anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening to episode 68 of YWC Football Talk. The off season has only just begun. Do did. Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.